Hello, friend. Welcome to the Watery Desho podcast. We are so happy to have the pleasure of your company. If this is your first time listening, sit back, relax. We hope you enjoy. If you are coming back because you enjoy our content and you'd like to support us, you can go to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Desho. We've got all kinds of fun rewards and bonus content like early access, Discord roles, additional audio and video content, all in three budget-friendly tiers. If you're not able to support us financially, no biggie. We totally understand. If you'd like to help us out uh, for free, you can always give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our discoverability. You can follow us on SoundCloud, on Twitter, at WaterWeDesho. You can always send us an email at WaterWeDesho at gmail.com if you want to correspond with us. We may not get to read every correspondence on the show, but I can promise you that we do read and try to respond to every single one because we do love our community, which we hope you'll be a part of. Thank you for your kind attention, friend. And without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and envies. Welcome to another episode of Stream of Thought. It's Watery Desho. Um, we're talking about Vinland Saga. And we may be talking about Vinland Saga at a lower rate of energy this week. Oh, I've got plenty of because... fucking energy. I have so much energy right now. Furious anger. But actually, I can't direct it at Vinland Saga, annoyingly enough, at least not this time around, because we had a damn fine episode. Uh, there's your TLDR review from me, folks. Uh, but since we're talking about Vikings and being topical, let me tell you, this week has been fucking Ragnarok for me. Holy shit. And it just keeps getting worse. But I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to bore you with my domestic shit. I'd rather talk about the episode, to be quite honest. For your sake and for mine. Well, Shadon has had a bad week. Please send him your hugs on Twitter and in Discord. Uh, I've been a little bit under the weather. Uh, I was out of work yesterday. I called out sick. Uh, feel I, I can actually breathe today, so I can we can do the episode. So uh, we're you know the the mind energy, the the analysis, and the, the crunching of the points will be all happening. But like the transmission from like brain to like. Energy, word stream algorithm, yeah, entertainment, like all that. It might get lost from here to there, but uh, but we're gonna give it a go, as we always do. That's right. Rain or shine, uh, we're I, always here. For I you. literally had to rewire my broadband filter box, like my phone socket, to get this stream going. Say because my decorator, he's a good lad and all that, but he. Unfortunately, because of a completely separate catastrophe that happened today that has totaled half of the wiring in my house, uh, he didn't have time to put it back on and rewire it. So here's me frantically Googling, like, how do I plug these tiny wires into this microfilter socket to make it work? And because I'm just that fucking good and that fucking determined, I actually did it. But now I have no hot water or heating in my home. So quid pro quo, I guess. You know, wasn't going to get off the hook that fucking easily, was I? 
Wow. I mean... <sighs> this is a well, drinking look, stream, by the way. There look, is vodka in this. The dedicated... <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is not a Diet Coke stream for you. No. But this is just goes to show how dedicated you are to our audience out there. And I know that they're very grateful for your... Uh, for your diligence, your ingenuity, your craftsmanship, you know, soldering things together. My rampant alcoholism. That too. We always appreciate that yeah. here um, on Watery Desha. I should probably mention at the top of the stream, folks, that if you've pieced together half of what we've been discussing so far, uh, yeah, things are in a pretty bad shape at my house at the moment, so I actually may have to, at some point during the stream, disappear for a little while if I get a phone call from an engineer who's coming out to fix my boiler. It might not even happen at all. It may potentially happen tomorrow. And, you know, as much as I'd like to spend the next 14 hours talking about Vinland Saga, uh, that probably won't happen. Uh, but, yeah, I'm going to apologize ahead of time if that does happen. Uh, but I will, of course, leave you in the very capable hands of, uh, you know, friend from across the pond, always close to my heart, the Soul Doctor. That's right. That's me. Uh, and the other lad is Shadon, who is the our master of coin, master of puns. Uh, master of disaster. Vodka. Yeah. V vodka uh, swiller extraordinaire um, and first of all before before we move on from our, our personal hells to Vinland Saga um, by way of transition I just want to apologize because I said I, I might not have actually said it on the air but I did say to Shadon that I'm going to Grow my beard and oh, hair until you, the end. <laughs> you are a, you are such a bloody traitor. Until the what? <laughs> until the end of the show, um, and I just at the weekend I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> it's the longest I've ever had my beard, like in my entire life, and so I just it was just time. I'm. It was just I, time. I, <laughs> What did you do after you, like, you know, you, you shave with that, you know, did you shave with a knife and then stab you in the back with it, you prick? <laughs> well, it's not like you were going along with it. <laughs> I, fuck. Fine. If Fine. we were, if you were actually Fine. doing it, I might have continued to tough it out. I would have. I have standards. But... I have very few standards, but that is one of them. I will tell you that. I know. Listen, it's my first lie. I'll be punished duly off the air by our punishment taimu uh mistress Vorgelia, the <laughs> the keeper of whips you're gonna get dark insults that's right um <clears throat> but okay so we're here to do some viking talk and before we get to episode 14 we're gonna wrap up 13 um by revisiting the polls um, but before we pull those up, I just want to let you all know who are watching live. Um, if you're watching on um, Periscope on Twitter, uh, you won't be able to chat with us. We've got our Twitch chat up, and that's the one that we are looking at currently. Um, and, you know, if you leave like tweets on the Periscope, we'll try to look at it. I don't really know. Uh, how feasible all that will be because I have like a million things up on my, <laughs> my monitors but go to twitch.tv uh, slash watery-show if you want to chat along with us uh, Emily and James from the discord and uh, 
James from Anime News Network and Cake the Beckett are in chat at the minute. Um, but it sounds like you got the t- the Twitter the Twitter machine uh, booted up and uh, ready to roll. So polls from episode thirteen go. Oh boy, the first one. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna saw the end of this one off because I think it just feels more appropriate to my current situation right now, which is is Shaden Ten Ten cursed? The actual question was the poll maker, but let's just actually, you know, cut to the chase here. Let's boil it down to absolutes. And would you know it, people were correct, because 88% said totally, and 12% said no, just unlucky, which in my book might as well be the same thing. Uh, Yeah, this is why, like, I've actually got to do polls today, and I don't know what I'm going to do other than, you know, are you going to send me a voucher for a new boiler? Yes, and yes, and how much are going to be the answers? Fox if I know. Anyway, <clears throat> poll two. Now, obviously, last time when we covered Vinland Saga, this was like the first new OP that we had, so we thought I'd ask a question about it, which was, since we got a new OP, are visuals or music more important to you? Uh, in an OP, that is. And the answer was 29% said visuals and 71% said music. So, and I think, you know, I think that's fair. I mean, having listened to it again, like, the listening for this episode, like, Again, it looks good, but the music is just bleh. Honestly, sounds like it, it sounds like commercial filler. I'm surprised you know it isn't like you know <laughs> used to sell like game of game of feud or some shit like that. Honestly, I could totally see like you know some gamer kid like going nuts on his like Xbox controller playing Call of Duty or whatever, but he just runs out of energy, and then that song. Uh, whatever it was for the new Vinland Syrope kicks in and suddenly he's like, you know, top of the leaderboard, multi-killing all his way, calling, you know, all of his enemies fags over team speak or whatever. <laughs> you know I'm right. You know I'm right. Um, so, poll number three. Who is the bus of the joke? Uh, the hidden third answer was me because of the way this week's been going, but that's neither or there. Uh, 27% said Grassy Anus, uh, Mr. Freebutt himself, uh, but yes. 73% said Asset. Uh, there's no wrong answer with that one, um, but it seems pretty decisive. The butt of the joke, get it, everyone? The butt of the joke is it, Asser or Grady Anus? The butt of the, the joke. It's good. It's a good one. Uh, I like that poll. Well, let's let's uh, let's leave that poll in the rear view, so to speak, and move on okay. to the next. <laughs> I might be very bitter right now, but I can still, you know, crack an occasionally decent pun. Mm. It's my coping mechanism to stop me, you know, from uh, winding a rope together. Anyway, uh, episode 13, poll 4. Do you join us in shipping Forfin and Canute? 73% said yes, and 27% said no. So people people be shipping, but maybe they mean like, you know, Viking Lombo Get shipping. In. Maybe, they, maybe, they're, maybe they're building something for him. I'm just saying. Uh, and then the next one, which is a follow-on question from that, was Fornute or Canfin? Uh, both of which sounds to me like you know some kind of off-brand like you know digestive medicine to me. I was uh, I was chided by the uh, Thorfinn Archive Twitter account, and they told me uh, it should have been Canufin and not Canfin, and I regretted. <laughs> I regret. I didn't want to remake the poll to like taint it, but I I, I regretted my actions, my words and deeds. Mm. Fair enough. But otherwise, that brings us to the conclusion of the polls. I just want to say, by the way, we had quite a lot of participation uh, in this last oh, one. Oh, wait, what did uh, what what were the splits on... Oh, God, uh, you're right, sorry. 
Yeah, this already going off the rails. I haven't even thought about the actual episode yet. Forty nine percent said for newt. Thirty uh, percent said can fin, and thirty eight percent said fucking hate this. <laughs> why? Why you do this to us, Warry Death Show? Why do? You, why you do that? Why you do that? Oh, <laughs> too good. It's too good. That's mm. why I must. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I want to just thank everyone for uh, taking part in those. We had quite a lot of participation in some of those polls, which is really, really nice to see. Uh, and we will indeed hopefully be having more as the episode goes along. So, mm-hmm. in fact, I can already think of one, which is going to be the big central question you and I will be tackling in the talking points. Because uh, this episode is heady. It's very, very heady. There's a lot and heavy. And heavy, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of ideas to explore here. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, is it Makoto Yukimura who wrote Vinland Saga? That's, I believe, correct. Yeah, I, th- me, uh... I think I think he has some uh, strong opinions. Yes. Uh, Mid general, let's not lie, but I think he has some strong opinions also on religion specifically, and the, you know the guiding hand of God, as it were, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. Oh the, boy, the guiding, <laughs> the guiding middle finger of God. <laughs> oh, that that too. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he was more of a Monty Python enthusiast, you know, just where they put the foot down on him. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh but anyway, sure. uh, yeah, more will be coming along later. So <clears throat> thank you, everyone, who took part. I will now uh, pass the baton over back to Doc so we can start uh, laying out what actually happens in episode 14, The Light of Dawn. Yeah, well, really Which quickly first. For right now, by the way. I write, yeah, awesome, awesome, listen. Awesome hot water. You, you know it's coming because of how dark it is. And we all know it's always darkest before said dawn. Um, but uh, before we get to the summary, just wanted to quickly discuss uh the director of this episode gyoko the light of dawn is none other than uh, atsushi kobayashi um can i just can i just interrupt do you say that the japanese mm-hmm. translation is was kyoko uh gyo g-y-o-k-o gyoko. oh close close i was just getting like really strong tokyo godfathers like oh my god they're crossing over uh, no. <laughs> but not quite, not quite. By the way, I'm back. I'm back on writing that, folks. You can expect that hopefully this weekend if I have my way with it. Uh, provided you know, like my house doesn't spontaneously explode on me. Man, <laughs> it's that can't, that will not happen. <laughs> better that fuck, can't happen. Better fucking. It shan't happen. <laughs> better fucking. Uh, all right. So Kobayashi. Kobayashi has um, a pretty big CV for being a person that like seems to have been involved in a lot of recent anime um and uh, they they've done a lot of different things like you see everything from a credit for motion graphics uh preview production got storyboarding um eye catch production opening production, CG guest modeling, uh, setting production, storyboards, avant animation, ending movie production, lighting assistant, episode director, and director. Photography, so this, uh, all sort of visual uh, elements of a production, it seems, and also telop work, T-E-L-O-P work. Telop work. So his telephone's OP. He's a really OP <laughs> telephone operator. What if that was it? He's just taking calls and they put that on his resume. <laughs> um, no, but uh, I think the the things that, uh, the notable things 
and then the things that they've been most involved in. So, um, did you see the Ancient Magus Bride, uh, Those Awaiting a Star prequel OAV? I did you watch the prequel? I didn't actually, even though I watched the entire main series. Uh, okay. Although I think that I'm not sure if I would necessarily be up for watching the prequel, only because, oh, I sold myself into slavery because of my apocalyptically awful uh, family life. Yeah, that was probably about as much as uh, my poor heart could take, to be quite honest. Just saying. Yeah. I I am with you. Uh, but uh, Kobayashi did the storyboard and episode direction for the third episode, and I think final episode of that prequel. Um, and an anime that I love to shout out, uh, Kobayashi worked on Gamers. <laughs> Rise up. <laughs> Gamers TV, uh, <laughs> photography, and VFX. Um, again, God, what a varied CV. Uh, but uh, it looks like the uh, Girls und Panzer, uh, Girls und Panzer, and <laughs> Girls und Panzer der Film, uh, <laughs> which I love that they call it der Film. That's the greatest. Oh, God, um, I, should, I should get, get my German phrase books to try and respond to that. I only was in Berlin <laughs> last week, after all. Yeah, so um, yeah, the both the TV show and the movie, um, they've got storyboarding credits, episode direction, and key animation for the TV series, um, and then like again, a lot of the rest of the credits. There's an occasional storyboard episode director credit, like, but it's usually for like one episode of something, and then most of the credits are just these visual like motion graphics uh you know for my hero academia or uh the mob psycho 102 opening um or preview like you know what i mean they're associated with a lot of interesting and high profile projects but like um in these roles that we sort of wouldn't consider substantively like excuse me there's a large monster apparently about to eat shadon so we, we have to excuse him. Um, but yeah, these roles that we don't really necessarily consider, like, here's the true creative direction behind a show. But uh, but an interesting CV, nonetheless, I think, for, for Kobayashi. Um, so we'll get to our summary now. Let me quickly pull up the, the stream so I can see what's happening here. And, okay, so episode 14. Here we go. The Light of Dawn. Um, before uh, we get to the summary proper, this is the first time I, like, actually read what was in the OP, as in, like, right at the beginning, you have, like, some text in the background, and it's kind of, like a little bit hard to read and it's it's up there for a, a decent chunk of time but not super long considering how long it is so it could be something that most people just like pass over so i'll go ahead and read that text it it, it may it may illuminate some things now or in the future or it may not it may just be an interesting sort of whatever but uh the text said like rowing a boat we enter the future backwards all we see are the scenes of the past and no one can see the views of tomorrow. It actually says no one cannot see the views of tomorrow, but like 
I just I just think that that was that was probably a a, a typo there a, a miss a, a, a bad English an oopsie uh, so I'm gonna go with no one can see the views of tomorrow all right so that's that was in the OP keep this in mind going forward so the episode begins with this conversation at the camp um and the tone of it is a little bit different than what's come before and what will come the rest of the episode. It is more lighthearted, comedic, uh, because these two kind of recurring uh, Viking guys uh, of Ascalads, they call themselves like brothers in arms. Uh, they're having this conversation with the priest because they're still trying to figure out what love is, according to said priest. And... You know, they talk about their own relationship and how they would watch each other's back in battle and on and on. And the priest says, you know, though, that's not what I'm looking for. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't uh, match my own picture of what love is. And they're like, well, you're just weird. You weird, man. Like, we don't. what are you talking about? And, you know, he says, well, uh, would would one of you would one of you die for me on in the battlefield or would you trust me with your life and they were like well no no you haven't earned that trust we haven't been through battles together there's there's been no foundation to build upon for me for for me viking man to treat you priest the way that I would my brother in arms and the priest says well exactly that's why what you're talking about is not what I consider love and this sounds very irrational to these Vikings and they start talking about uh, about Thors right because they said well um, you know you want to hear about something weird uh, because you're weird so we'll talk to you about about Thors and we all remember what happened it took a lot of arrows to kill you know Papa Thors and uh, he died, but he did not kill any of Askeladd's men. And specifically, the priest hones in on this one particular line, uh, this one particular utterance of Thor's, which is, true warrior has no needs of, of swords. And this is a sort of mysterious thing that he's told uh, Thorfinn before. And I guess he told Askeladd, or the Vikings heard him say. It's been a long time since we watched episode three. But um, but yeah. Uh the priest is like fascinated by this, right? Um he's just like in awe and wants to hear everything. Uh hello, uh Yorzuha boss, uh aka Dana, aka Blue Sea Devotee. How's it going? Shadan is um AFK for just a for a few minutes, I heard a really awful sound coming from 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 his house, and so he ran. <laughs> he took off his headset and ran to go check it out. Um, so, uh, where was I? Yes, the priest uh, was fascinated by this idea that Thor's was putting forward, and Thor's himself. He wanted to know more about him, and uh, the Viking <laughs> episode fourteen break him. Yeah, you know. He is at a 
he's at a point in which he could be broken by something like like this. It's true. Um, but no, look. Uh, so yes, the priest is very into it. Is very into Thor's. Um, we see uh, snow. We see a blizzard. We see, yes, it broke me as well. Um, that suddenly, uh, you know, remember last episode, ask <laughs> Emily, you're killing me. Um, Askeladd uh, took a different path than people thought he should take. He made a sort of idiosyncratic choice, try to take a shortcut, right? And he was trying to beat the snows, but turns out, well, he didn't do it. Uh, it's There's a blizzard. It's coming down quite hard. Uh, and the Vikings have not, have not made their way to the place that they want to be. And so they see uh, a little snowy village, right? And things are going to happen there, which we'll get to in just a minute. But I believe, like, before that, and actually, I think before the, the opening, we actually see Anne. So I'm, I'm telling things out of order, but it doesn't matter. You're getting the gist of it. You all watch the episode. Uh, but just to recontextualize, so we see uh, a little girl called Anne uh, praying in front of a tree. And I think actually the first thing we see in the episode, the very first shot is a black screen with some white text um, uh, saying, like, it's either quoting or paraphrasing a Bible verse. It doesn't give the address of the verse. It says, like, you know, why have you abandoned us? And I believe it's, like, meant that it's a, a part in the Bible where someone's asking this of God, like, why, why are you allowing all these horrible things to happen to our people? Like, why are you not here? Why aren't you doing anything? Why have you forsaken us, right? Um, and I use that word forsaken, which will probably, like, remind people of the fact that, you know, Jesus Christ himself said that as he was dying, right? Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um but anyway, Anne is is at this tree praying and thinking. You know, she's thinking like, uh, uh, do God's laws, right? Do they do they say you have to be pure? Do you have to be like hundred percent sinless, and pure to get into heaven? Cause I got this pretty dope ring, and I love it a lot. And well, how are you? Is everything okay? Oh, you're muted, sir. You're still muted. You could just tell, you know, like... Oh, no, no, you're still muted. No, I'm still muted. <laughs> I can't hear you. There we go. I, I had double oh, muted myself because I wanted to be extra sure. Because uh, it wasn't <laughs> a phone call from the boiler people, as it says. It was a phone call from my sister. Uh, the nature of which I'm not going to elaborate on, although I will say it's incredibly good news. So, okay. we take those. Well, that's, we take those. That is good. That's great. Yes, uh, um, she wasn't unfortunately, you know, uh, attacked by raiding Viking pillagers who just wanted a cheap meal, as it turns out. Also, I have more mm -hmm. vodka, so there you go. <laughs> Very good. Uh, so we're at the part of the summary. I, I have been talking out of order. Um, I spoke about the 
scenes early on in the camp between the priest and uh, the Viking dudes. Mm-hmm. And now I'm I'm doubling back to talk about Anne. Um, Have you got to the point yet in which uh, Anne uh, has dinner with her family and then, of course, nope. they are rudely interrupted? No, no. Not, not quite there. Oh, okay. Still talking about... So we're talking about the part in the very beginning uh, when, you know, the first thing we see in the episode is a black screen and some white text like that says, you know, why have you abandoned us? And I believe it's like a paraphrase of a part of the Bible. It could be like, you know, a lot of different things and talked about how uh, Jesus, like on the cross itself, you know, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And all that kind of thing. So there's a lot of parts in the Bible, people hey, like, I, lament, I, I, lamenting. I get you, Jesus, you know, when you come back home and you find that your broadband, you know, like filter has been turned into a pretzel and that your boiler is currently as useless as a sandpaper condom. I can understand that entirely. It's exactly my words. I hear you, Bo. Yeah, right. So uh, there's a lot of people in the Bible at different points that call on God. You know, they're like, you've abandoned us. Like, why? Why have you done this? But, but Anne is, um, again, she's wondering, like, if God really desires uh, someone who's 100% pure because she is not uh, because she has stolen a little ring mm. that she went to the market when she didn't have any money just to look at stuff. And she saw a dope ring that she loves. Uh, and she took it, and she's been I, hiding it in a tree. I believe that she took inspiration from two uh, fishing little folk who found a ring in a river once, you know, and they fought over it. <laughs> and this is the point, folks, by the way, just to give you a bit of our behind-the-scenes insight here. I said to Doc in the run-up to this that he needed to do for his Viking voice the voice of Spiegel mm-hmm. uh, for this time around, and he was very, very confused because he hadn't seen the episode yet. Uh but now, obviously, you know, Doc's like, the gears are going in his head, the penny is dropped, and he's just like, oh, that's that pop culture reference that, you know. Yeah, I didn't, <laughs> I totally, even after watching the episode, I was like, why Smeagol? Because I'm a dense motherfucker. <laughs> uh, it's like, oh yeah, the ring. Yeah, right, duh, right. Well, to be fair, she, to be fair, we learned out later in the episode it does allow Anne to hide from, uh, you know, her attackers. So it technically serves the same function. <laughs> right, yeah, it's true. Uh, in a roundabout sort of way, it is an invisibility-making device. Um, boy, uh, so yeah, okay, fine. Uh, here's my Viking impression of Anne. <clears throat> I have to drink a water really quick. <laughs> One does not do the Spiegel voice lightly. It's a <laughs> my derp black precious that Schmeagor found in the market. Schmeagor's hidden it in a tree. So those wicked Trixie Dines don't find his precious. <laughs> they will smash it. But Schmeagor knows. Schmeagor knows all. Okay. <laughs> that is the best Viking voice you've done since the since Recycle Ray Villain saga. Now, I will confess, maybe not on the you know strictest of terms, but I certainly love the shout of it, so it'll do for me. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh my god. So yes, 
the ring uh and and we are treated all throughout the the episode when we see Anne, uh even from these early shots of a con- a contrast between uh her hands and the ring uh we see her hands are very like sort of just bear they bear the marks of hard labor of a life uh spent like working you know her nails are are you know cut and and broken she's got uh uh red palms and knuckles like a lot of kind of lines that uh in the life like the life of a professional league of legends player <laughs> yeah exactly yes a hundred percent that's totally she is uh <laughs> she's gonna join uh the english team I think I think she's right on the cusp of breaking through to the professional ranks, um, and and yeah. So you would you might be wondering like uh, otherwise like huh a ring like what's so special? But like you have a girl who's very poor, um, so she can't afford those kind of things, and you have a girl who like I mean she can look at her hands for the first time and like see something beautiful. And it's why she was so drawn to it and why she doesn't want to give it up. Like she knows she's broken uh, God's laws by stealing it. So she believes. Um, and uh, she wants to throw it away, but but she can't bring herself to part from it. Um, and, you know, after the whole business with the camp and the priest, uh, we see... Uh, in that snow, in the snowy village that that Askeladd and the Vikings have come to, sits uh, a family. We see them saying grace, um, you know, sitting over a modest meal. This is Anne's family, um, and one of the little boys asks, like, why God is punishing the world now? Um, and you know, Daddy says, uh, "Papa Englishman," he's like, <laughs> "Look." Look, he's not doing it now. It was prophesied for... It was set aside long ago of a thousand years after Jesus died and came back. God would judge the world. Okay. (laughs) That was, was again, equally impressive, I must must say. (laughs) So, so like... What are you doing the dub, Doc? Uh, When can we expect you to handle the dub? (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, Again... I, I, I just am so curious how they're going to do this dub. If they're going to make everyone have European accents, um, I don't I, even I really want to imagine what Forkel. No, no. If Forkel's going to be voiced by anyone, it's got to be Jameson Price, the gentleman who did Ryder in um, Fate Zero. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big that would booming voice. Is is his Japanese seiyu the same as the seiyu who did Ryder? Can you please look that up while we're talking? Yes, yes, I will. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, but yeah, no. So, so Dad says, "Look, there. It's not just this sort of thing that God decided to do out of the blue. It's a prophecy. Like a thousand years after Christ came back, the judgment's going to happen. And uh, Jesus knew, of course, that like these horrible Danes would show up, and so that's part of why the world is ending. He was." you know, he fucking was. Yes, I knew it. <laughs> I fucking knew it. Uh, well, that yeah, obviously is we need to have Jameson Price back to do the voice of Forkel in the in you know the English dub. Ah, oh, he's such a good 
I I have not heard, admittedly, Jameson Price, but the uh, the Seiyu is quite good. But I t- I'll take your word for it on Mr. Jam- Price. Jameson Price uh, also voices Leo Whitefang in Guilty Gear. Like he's he I've said it before, and I'll say it again. He is the Brian Blessed of anime English voice actors, like big booming like classical voice. Gotcha. He gotcha. nails that kind of stuff, and he would play Far Kelts with T. So Funimation or whoever gets the dub for this, don't fuck this up. You have one job. One job. Don't fuck this up. Pay him many dollars. Do the thing. Do the thing. Um, well, amidst all this uh, kind of rudimentary theology, uh, the discussion going on uh, among her family about how you know bad people like the Danes are going to go to hell and on and on, uh, Anne... Uh, says she has to go to the toilet and she slips out to go to her little spot in in the tree in which she's hidden the ring and again she puts it on and it's like and oh, that obviously so... it attracts danger you know like as it as it does yeah it all fits <laughs> it all fits every single thing fits <laughs> yeah it's right the eye of Sauron is now upon her the eye of Askeladd um, that's yeah I know um so she, she's, like, scared of the devil. She doesn't want to go to hell. Uh, you know, and, and on and on. And, and she wants to get rid of the ring. But again, it's so beautiful. Um, Mount Doom's a fair bit away. I mean, she cannot. I mean, what's the equivalent of Mount Doom in Vinland Saga? Is it Ben Nevis? That's technically one of the closer peaks that I can think of. <laughs> How far away is it from uh, Gainsborough? Which is, I think, where... Our, they're sort of close to. Well, they said um, the the kingdom was they were they were crossing into Mercia, uh, which I looked up, and Mercia is just basically Middle England or Middle okay. Earth. Sorry. Oh my god! <laughs> Please stop. No, no, I'm roll. I'm running this joke into the ground. I tell you that for free. Um, which I'm guessing that what's happened in the intervening time in uh, the episodes is that having travelled like you know across the uh, river to. Uh, Wales from the south end they've made it up more towards north end probably to Manchester even maybe maybe you know like this is the point where they arrive in Manchester and make themselves known dicks don't do that to my hometown you pricks they they, <laughs> they need to they need to come out as city or united fans they have to choose that's the ultimate choice maybe that's just that what it is maybe that, maybe that literally is what it's like is Asgard united or city maybe that should be a poll maybe I'll put that up for fun <laughs> please put it up um and uh let's see okay so at this point you know like i said Anne is kind of having her her internal struggles she's such an interesting character uh her her kind of what happens with her at the end especially um well she sees the descending host of horrible viking people yorm's vikings and the welsh uh and you know it's they're cut they're coming uh in, in they're walking into her into her pa- uh family home now and I, on this i i want to intervene because there's something I, I need to tell you all a little anecdote here because i watched this episode and i saw that bjorn <clears throat> was like you know sizing everything up and he was mm-hmm. obviously getting ready to make his move and i don't know why this popped into my head maybe i was drunk at the time Maybe I was just being overly imaginative. 
But all I could think of was we, of course, you'll have mentioned the two brothers having the discussion with the priest earlier. All I could imagine was them two carrying Bjorn, like, to one on each side. So one of them's got one arm, one leg, one's got the other. So he's just, like, lay flat in the air and just use it as a battering ram to have his head burst through the side of the hut and just then use it to break it down. I don't know why I thought this. <laughs> it's a good visual, though. I don't know why I thought this. I just <laughs> so, imagined beyond you, like, just bursting through. <laughs> it's a really great visual, though. Uh, we, we need a... I hope that was one of those, like, one-page one gag strips that the author did uh, after this chapter. Just to <laughs> help lighten lighten the mood uh, a bit, um, I can totally imagine Beyond being used as a bra- as a battering ram. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he'll do anything for a mushroom, as we all know. Um, so like as the army is uh as the the mercenary band is coming into her home, uh, another sort of biblical allusion paraphrase thing flashes on the screen the, the black background with the white text uh, and this one's up for a little bit longer and it basically says um, you know thou has rejected us uh, thou are very wroth with us um, and this is like sort of subtly different than the one at the beginning and the one at the beginning you know is very much like God I, I we feel like you're kind of not present because we there are these hard times and like we're not getting any any help from you and this one god is wroth with them like this is actively like they feel like he's against them uh this portion of of scripture or whatever that is being paraphrased because this this army is coming who Anne, like Anne doesn't know anything about like the the circumstances that have led the Vikings here. She doesn't know the calculus that had to happen. She doesn't know that they're protecting the prince and that there's this political kind of, uh, there's this treaty at stake, like a ceasefire. Um, people's lives hang in the balance of in the mission uh, succeeding and da-da-da-da-da. She doesn't know about any of that. She's just sort of like praying and then here comes a bunch of evil motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. And like... They descend, break into the home. They take all the food of everyone in the village. And, you know, clearly there's not enough. There's barely enough food for those people to make it through the winter. Uh, but there's not enough to feed uh, the army. Uh, to the, be, the mercenary. Beyond, like, you know, he notes that, oh, God, this food's terrible. And thought, well, you know, beyond, like. I'm not going to disagree with you offhand, mate, but maybe you should have turned up two days ago when they were serving cream of mushroom soup. You'd have probably been happy with that. <laughs> yeah, no, right. That's exactly... Yeah, that, that, that's why he thinks it's bad. It probably tastes fine, like, for food at the time. But he's like, no mushrooms, no deal. The, the onion porridge. <laughs> where's, my, where's, where's my mushroom stroganoff? Where's my stroganoff, <laughs> right. you fuckers? Come on, Ma. What? What's up? And, and I like how she's, like afraid at the beginning until they like until Bjorn drops the bowl and then she's like now just a damn minute you it's a crime to waste food in this economy and you know she's just like browbeating him basically and uh, 
Can I just also add, by the way, that um, as someone whose own mother, who I have many problems with, but I'm not going to elaborate on those right now, uh, when I was like 18, I was like a full foot in height over her, so if ever she yelled at me, it was the most hilariously pathetic thing ever. And that's the impression I got here, as Bjorn is just looking over this poor lady, who has every right to yell at him, um, Mm -hmm. and I can just imagine him just being like... Well, unfortunately, he backhands her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should have done that to my yeah. mother, but that's a discussion oh, for a different time. Uh, so, uh, when, while this is happening, I should note that the priest tries to warn them, you know, because, hey, mm. they're Christians, take, too. Take note of that for later. That is very important, by the way. I'm going to be mm-hmm. discussing that. So he says, you know, the Vikings are coming, the Vikings are coming. And, uh, you know... Lars Revere, as it were, uh, gets punched in the gut and beaten up pretty thoroughly. Um, but the, you know, his uh, efforts notwithstanding, the village is easily subdued. Like I said, they have all the food uh, piled up, and it's not enough for uh, the soldiers even to hole up and make it through the winter. Um, but they need the food. They, The soldiers are going to take the food uh but the villagers uh you know they say like we need it too and one of them the father of the the of Anne and and her people uh says look if you just leave us half we'll make it on half and you guys can have half the food it's okay just please leave us this and like Askeladd who like his eyes look like totally empty like they're just he's just like a being devoid of mercy and he says to them you know don't it's cool man I, i've thought about you don't worry you won't you won't have to worry about making it through the winter and of course initially the man's like oh thank you he's like you won't have to worry about making it through this winter or the other winter because we're gonna kill you we're gonna kill all of you so none of you have to eat and I don't. Who was it that raised the objection? I didn't see, but someone said, "Askeladd, they're civilians." I think it might have been Ragnar, because Ragnar definitely okay. does like continue that objection later on by saying, "But they're Christians," which again, mm-hmm. put in that because that's going to be important in a bit. Yeah, and you know, Askeladd says, "Look, we're doing this for the prince. It's necessary." And what does the prince do? Like he just looks down and doesn't really do anything. Um, doesn't say anything, and. Uh, the Vikings slaughter the villagers in a really a pretty harrowing scene, and we see Anne's point of view uh, for this scene. Uh, during the part of the snowstorm, uh, all the villagers are kind of huddled together. Um, I don't know if they are groveling or praying or both, but they're kind of bent over on the ground, and the Vikings just plunge their swords into them, and it's like a, it's a massacre. And blood and torn pieces of cloak and everything are kind of flying into and through the snow. It's a visual parallel as well to the very first opening scene from the episode, which is the priest's recollection of a similar event in the past. So mm-hmm. you might, without getting too into it, this of course, because it's not really a full-fledged talking point, but remember what we said about cycles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's happening again, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and Asklad, uh important to note, says that, you know, this is best for the prince. Mm. Um, and 
that's all we really see uh, of that group this episode. Um, I think Thorfinn may- maybe got like one single shot. He was like looking all grumpy about being out in the cold. Um, don't really know at all if he was part of this massacre. I would love to th- hope that he was not, that he was hanging out with Canute. Um, but then again, well, one might argue as well that his uh, indifference or his apathy makes him complicit regardless. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. But yeah. We could just no, for thing. sure. We will. Because there's a, a, obviously an important final scene when, uh, you know, I don't know how long after the the massacre this is, but um, we see Anne wandering through the woods. By the way, she escaped to this whole ordeal because... Uh, she remained in hiding after going to her secret spot. Um, she saw from a distance, she saw everyone get killed. She still got her ring, of course. Um, but she's kind of walking through the woods, and the snow has died down. It's uh, it's very calm, and she sees the Aurora Borealis uh, it looks, looking up into the sky. And she begins to talk to God, and, uh, you know, she's saying... Uh, you know, God, uh, you've taken all my family. Uh, there are are they with you now? I, I guess, hopefully, hoping that they are. And then she says that she hopes that she doesn't have to go for a while. And she's not uh, like sad. Uh, she is uh, excited. She's kind of. Uh, invigorated by what has happened she says she feels she feels elated uh she this whole event has made her feel akin to when she stole the ring uh witnessing this great evil she says she feels elated that people this evil exist people that don't care at all about being punished uh Mm. by you god and then she falls into the snow um, and then we see the sun coming up. Uh, it's dawn of a new day, and we see her rising from the snow. Uh, a rebirth of sorts, I suppose, mm-hmm. has happened. And then uh, that's the end of the episode. Wee wee, wee wee. Man. Okay, my friend. I've been talking for a good long time, so I'm going to let you uh, lead us. Uh, oh boy, with there's the there's a, there's a lot to talk about, and I'm going to start mm-hmm. with a more broader topic here. I'm going to talk about my initial reactions to this episode when I watched it um, only on Sunday, just as it came out. And my initial reaction was thus: What in the flying blue fuck was the point of that? Yeah, I went there. Uh, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? There's two ways one can approach this particular episode. The first is as its own individual piece, and the second is as a piece of the larger puzzle of Vinland Saga. Now, I have previously discussed at length on this podcast my grievances about the fact that I feel the show is not spending enough time with Thorfinn or Canute or Askeladd. Uh, Thorfinn in particular, I must say. Um, it's especially noticeable, by the way, in this episode, because both Thorfinn and Canute you want to know how many lines of voice dialogue they have between them? None. Big fat fuck all. Nothing. They have nothing in here. And so this kind of... My initial reaction was kind of negative because I thought, 
Okay, for all that I appreciate all this episode is doing, I don't care because I want to continue their stories. I'm not interested in the story of like Anne or anyone else. And I also kind of drew parallels between Anne and the lady we met previously, who obviously took Thorfinn in when he was scouting, you know, combed his hair. You remember her? She was similar to Christian as well. Mm -hmm. I thought like we were treading the same beats again. And part of me still holds that feeling that I'm just like, can we get on with it? Can we get on with their story? But, but, there's something about this episode that reminds me of a little thing that we call perspective. Because we had the previous episode in which we spent a lot of time learning about Askeladd's history. And we kind of felt a certain grain of sympathy for him, did we not? Like, we understood that, you know... <laughs> He himself had suffered, like, you know, he had to carry his oh, you, mother. You had to bring up that whole talking point. I mean, can't we all just forget about that and move on? I mean, it was so long in kosher time. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was no, only yeah, just... Look, totally. No, this yeah. is... You're totally fair, though. I mean, this is... Uh... This is the brutal reality that is the other side of the coin. Well, this is this is exactly the point I was about to get to. The reason this episode I find is interesting and I find it really fascinating is because it feels almost like a rebuttal to the very episode, or issue in the manga if you want to take it that way, that mm -hmm. we've just witnessed, which is, oh, okay, I've given you backstory and you might feel a kernel of like, you know, empathy towards Askeladd and in turn Thorfinn from understanding like how they've, you know, been warped and twisted and devoured by war and pillaging and plundering and raping and all those awful things. But now we get to see them through the perspective of a different character. This is why they, ha like, Thorfinn and Knut have no dialogue whatsoever. Because we see them as Anne sees them. We no longer are in that omniscient viewpoint of, you know, mm. the privileged observers that we are when we watch shows and, and te television, anime, you name it in general. We are now viewing them as Anne sees them. As cold, mm. uncaring, callous individuals who, as... In the same way that the the winter storm that comes over them is completely indifferent and would take their lives if they could, if it could, like they sweep over them in the exact same fashion. So I don't even know if I would say uncare. Like she might even see them as caring deeply about killing them. You know what I mean? Not well, just like like well, I mean think about how like she's very invested in like the cosmic drama of good and evil of God and the devil mm. they're very real to her. And here you have this like <clears throat> evil, you know, truly evil group of killers, right. Descending. in. so it's, I, I feel like she would not even, she wouldn't think of them as, as men almost. She wouldn't think of them as, um, as uncaring or, or a force of nature. I don't think anything is like, I think, I think this is a supernatural event to her. Hmm. So I think this is like I think that's her interpretation, yeah. but we also still get the perspective that we're offered, which is that well, I'm going to kill you all anyway and take what you want because it's a pastime. That's what Askeladd describes it as. Oh yeah, you were just talking about Anne's point of view. That's true. Um, that's true. But we still see them in some sense as she sees them, which is to say that you know they're an outside force. We're no longer placed in the position in which we are suggest is suggested to us that we sympathise with them. We were reminded of who they are as, you know, people, that they are pirates, plunderers, murderers, you name it. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing, right? 
I'm not going to deny this episode wasn't effective at doing that. I think it was magnificently executed from start to finish in terms of how it presented, like, you know, a, a force that we had previously come to, like, you know, get too acclimated to, get a little too comfortable with, and put them back in the frame as, like, the awful people they are. But I, again, must ask, in the long-term, you know, roadmap that is Vinland Saga's plot, haven't we done this already? Is this not old ground that we've already tread? Like, we've always known that Askeladd is a bad person. I mean, he murdered Fors. So, you know. And then since then, he's only gone and done more awful things. He's got he's a complicated character, so don't get me wrong. But I just have to wonder, like, as good as this episode was in getting a point across that, yeah, Askeladd and his men are indeed vile, reprehensible people, is it a necessary entry in the, the saga of Vinland, so to speak? <laughs> I mean, you and I had this discussion previously where I said to you, could we not have simply time-skipped from Thorfinn, you know, growing older to we've got to rescue Canoe and have all the intermediary stuff come out? Now, I'm going to say this, though. I'm going to say this. Uh, I have heard that you might be better interpreting Vinland Saga more as a modern take on the historical epic, where it wasn't necessarily about, um, you know, a super-focused character drama, but rather think of it like, you know, the Henry V kind of thing, you know, classic Shakespeare, where you do have individual characters, but it's like broader, a broad depiction of the time, so to speak, just as written by a modern author, rather than worrying about necessarily as a character focusing. So I bring that up only to point out that, that my opinion of possibly redundant, even as good as it was, is just mine, and your mileage may vary. Don't take my word to necessarily be, you know, objective or, you know, truthful or certain even, but it's just how I felt. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I guess, yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming from, like, in terms of the 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 characters that we kind of care about the the main characters so to speak mm-hmm. um you know not a whole hell of a lot was done to to flesh them out it just kind of in were fact, moving them I, from one place to another if i may elaborate um, with a quick distinction um okay so i mentioned that Thorfinn and canute have no voice lines of dialogue in this episode whatsoever now let me pose two hypotheticals to you. Which of these sounds more likely? That that was entirely accidental on the part of Makoto Yukimura uh, and, you know, the people who adapted this show because they didn't pay attention to them. Or rather, as I personally believe, it was a very deliberate choice in this particular slice of the story to not have them speak at all and just present them as uncaring, indifferent individuals. That to oh, yeah. me seems like the more likely explanation. And that's why I mm-hmm. think to myself, as much as in like the grander scheme of Vinland Saga, that I think to myself, well, okay, fair enough. This is still a very, very competently executed slice thereof. Yeah, that's what but I was going to say. Yeah, it's just but that if, uh, if you're not hungry though, <clears throat> like is even if you get served a great steak, doesn't necessarily mean you want to eat it though. And I've just committed the. Cardinal sin of criticism, which is to make food right. references. Bringing the food into <laughs> so it, yeah. I'll, I'll trade in my uh, anime <laughs> critics card right now, as such as it were, which I saw from someone else anyway, so there we go. <laughs> uh, 
So I, of all the things that you, or of all the pieces of the the anime that are not, um, you know, 100% focused on Thorfinn or Askeladd uh, or Canute that you feel like are skippable, I would say, like, this is the best one of those. Like, I don't think it's skippable. Like, I think uh, it was incredibly well executed and the show uh, would be poorer for it uh, not being there. Um, whereas I couldn't really say the same thing about other pieces of of the show that felt mm. a little bit wheel spinning um, for the reasons you mentioned. Um, yeah, I that... should make another caveat actually now that you brought that up, which is that this is again a flaw in our own format of an- analyzing this show week on week. Because let me pitch an idea to you. Could you imagine a moment in which Canute later on, because we've had hints in the OP that he's going to become a more hardened, bitter, you know, like he's been chewed up and spat out kind of person. You know, he loses his, like, you know, naivete and his softness and becomes cruel even. Like, I can imagine that. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine, like, you know, a scene later on in this very same show where he will flash back to this moment and uses an example for him to make, like, say, to order Ragnar to order their men. Oh, I've seen this done elsewhere where the entire village got murdered and it was fine. Do it. Fucking kill him. So I must also stress that as much as I think self, I, I've heard this music before, like, you know, can we have something different on rather than just being on repeat all the time? Doesn't mean that, you know, it's not going to serve a purpose later on. Yeah. And I think this, like, you know, our, our buddy here in the chat, James Beckett, mentioned in his review of it how different the episode really felt than pretty much every other episode. And, like, that, I think, is a good reason to to keep it. Like, because there are, there are many episodes in kind of long serialized fiction that take detours. Mm. And those... Are I, I think not like on the same level as filler or skippable. Like they're they're a a just just because they're not kind of furthering the main stories doesn't mean they're an unnecessary part of the art. Especially if they do something different or interesting. Uh, and I think like this episode, it just felt different enough and it was it just this little kind of self-contained singular arc that felt like, I don't know, it felt like we needed to experience this part of the world, this part of, of the world of Vinland. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't get the same... That, that whole thing about... Um, uh, you mentioned in episode eight, uh, the the other woman who Thorfinn tricked as a, as a young boy, as a young scout. Um, that that was still kind of about Thorfinn, whereas mm-hmm. this, as you said, was about the rest of the world looking in at our kind of our group of main characters, and it, it felt really refreshing because of that, um, which is a weird way to describe this episode. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like the, the point of view and everything felt really unique. Uh, mm. and I, and I really dug that about this. Um, yeah. I mean, my opinion on this, like I'm very much of two minds on it because 
I recognize the episode for its quality by just curious into as to its overall place. And maybe on the latter point, I should hold off on judging on that until the entire show has run through. Maybe that's for the better. Mm-hmm. But I think it just serves an example again how individual moments in fiction can often be executed incredibly well. It's not a case of simply being like this mm-hmm. bad and therefore rest bad. Like you can have something that's so fantastically done, mm-hmm. but it doesn't serve a purpose. Now, sure. again, again, not saying that's necessarily the case with here, but I just find it fascinating to think of that, you know, we can have moments like that. And that yeah. was, again, my initial reaction. But I am of the opinion that this episode's particular musings on Christianity probably pull it out from that because they themselves totally. alone are very much worth talking about and considering. Um, yeah, yeah. Be, uh, like, be if um, you're a person of faith or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the content is like a whole nother, like, merit for the episode that we could argue for. But just speaking of uh, these other more kind of technical uh, pieces and looking at the episode as a whole and how different it feels like, I think all that is in its favor, but also the content. And I, I think I'm like um, tend to be a little bit more forgiving uh, about whether or not, like you said, individual moments or chapters or pieces of fiction sort of fit cleanly and cohesively into a whole. Like, I'm o- more okay with messiness in all of this and detours than I think you tend to be in general. Um, That's but, like, But the quality still has to be there, and I think the quality is there. Oh, it definitely uh, is. It's better than for you this. know stuff I've seen in other shows this year where, oh, this episode is completely functionally irrelevant. Oh, and on top of that, it's also shit. <laughs> also, I think it's this episode is better than many of the episodes that were about our big three characters. Y- you know, th- that in of itself can be a compliment, but also a condemnation, funnily enough, of the show, if you think about it. It could be. It could be. It depends on how sure. you want to view it. And again, mm-hmm. like that's why I say your mileage is very much going to vary on this. Mm-hmm. Because, and I'm going to spoil ahead of time, I'm actually going to rate this episode twice when we get to the end. One for it itself and just in its own vacuum. Mm-hmm. Also, its purpose in the wider story. Uh, okay. Because it's just one of those weird things for me where I couldn't help but think, I really like this, but I mm-hmm. also kind of didn't care. Which sounds cruel, but hey, there we go. Sounds like a couple of dates I've been on in my life, to be quite honest, but there, there we are. <laughs> sad. Uh, sad wow, wow. jokes. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, well, okay, so... Um... Um, before you have a next talking point, Doc, I would very mm-hmm. much like to uh, take a bio break. Oh, okay. Uh, let's do that. Yeah, uh, I'm going to ruin, will... ruin the stream again twice in one night by ducking <laughs> away. First for a phone call, second for a bio break. Next thing you know, it'll just be Christian missionaries at the door saying, what about Vinland Saga? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll leave you all to stew on that just for a second. I'll be back momentarily.
That was fast. I cannot hear you. Oh, wait. Yeah, I'm not very good at oh. handling my microphone. I'm very sorry. And <laughs> yeah, you can quote that out of context all you want, folks. That one's free. Uh, but anyway, yes, let's move on to your next talking point, Doc. All right, I'm going to get us back live, though, in just a second here. Oh, I thought we were still live. That's why no, I cried that joke. Oh you, no. saved, oh, you saved me from embarrassing myself. Thank you for that. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. In three, two... We're back. We're back. We are back. Hopefully that was uh, not too long for you folks, but okay. Talking points continue. Uh, I have a lot of mine like clustered together around a similar issue, but uh, one of them that I think is um, separate from the rest is uh, Canute. And mm. funny, he doesn't really get a lot of screen time this episode but i think, I think he pays all of once mm -hmm. but i think it's still like that is still significant and that one shot is significant um you know you just got him i mean maybe he appears twice right like but the one time i'm thinking of is when Asklad is talking out how he's going to murder everyone in the village and uh how it's best for the prince and all these people or don't, there's not enough food to keep them alive, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, he looks over at Canute and Canute looks down. Um, what do you think that look, uh, what, what do you think's going on in his head and how does he feel, uh, I, right now? <laughs> I have a couple of thoughts on this. So first thing that springs to mind is this, right? Canute is like, heir apparent basically to the throne and insofar as his royal power goes he in theory should have authority over Askeladd, over Ragnar, over all the others that are there before them and he doesn't say a damn word mm -hmm. so how do you want to interpret that then? Do you want to interpret that as someone who knows he has power but has no will to exercise it? Who is too cowardly to do so? Mm -hmm. Um do you want to interpret it as someone who, you know, realizes that even if he did say that, he wouldn't be listened to? You know, that all his power is worth naught? Like, there's a couple of different ways you could read this. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, um, the way that I see it is I reckon that Canute would have probably... He would have probably not said something to ask that, but he would have tried to get Ragnar to intervene somehow for all the good that right. would do. But it would have been right. an attempt... But I think that him looking down like this, him recognizing the inevitability of what's about to happen, because, like, you know, in the gigantic relation, like, meshed up relationship that is, you know, Askeladd, Thorfinn, Canute, Ragnar, Bjorn, Asser, if you want to throw him as well, like, the only one wearing the pants in this menage, you know, whatever, is uh, is Askeladd. He's the one in charge. He's running the show. Mm -hmm. Even though, in theory, he has no power, really, but Canute does. Canute chooses not to exercise it or doesn't feel he can or feels it would be ignored. And indeed, that contrasts with Askeladd saying before, oh, hey, look, my men, see that guy over there? See him? That's Tim. Tim, he dead. He froze his oh, no. over there. You're breaking up. Oh, Doc no. says we're robot, by the way. I can't ah, quite make him out. Robot Shadon. <laughs> um, so oh, dear. I, 
Yeah, let's see. Let me uh, We're having technical leave difficulties, folks. I apologize. Restart the call. And uh, we'll see if we can get a connection uh, restored. Whoops. Okay. This is turning into such a spaghetti stream, it really is. Now you started sounding like you started talking like the T eight hundred then. As did you. <laughs> so I think uh I guess my I don't know what uh the the bars definitely dipped to red and they're in yellow now. Uh they were in green, but now we're in yellow, so beware. I'm guessing that my uh, hot wiring of the broadband filter is having consequences quite possibly. Who can say? Who can say? Um so anyway, you were saying though, Doc, before you started talking, like you know, you were HAL nine thousand or whatever. Well, I actually you were talking because um, I was asking you about about Canute's uh, state of mind, and you posited uh, a ton of different readings that are are all fair. Yeah, um, um, it really depends on what you want to read it as, and I think this again is going to be one of those cases where, like I said before, with the whole you know what purposes this episode serve, it's going to be something that he'll look back on. Like, possibly as a moment of weakness. Like, I should have asserted myself. Even if, ultimately, Canute's, like, you know, s stepping up and saying, Askeladd, don't fucking touch those people, and Askeladd ignores him. He still tried. It's better than doing nothing, than remaining apathetic or silent or scared. Mm -hmm. That still is, a, you know, an assertive action in itself. Um, So, I don't know. I will again bring it back to the idea of how Anne sees it, which is that this is a man who, in theory, could intervene. Mm -hmm. He could stop this from happening, and that also, funnily enough, applies to Fourth. And how many times have I said before that he should have cut Askeladd six ways from you know Sunday by this point, but neither of them do. They allow this to happen, both the prince and the pauper, funnily enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder if he'll take. You know, it, it, so clearly, like, I, I, he's afraid. He's afraid of going against Askeladd. He's afraid of voicing his own opinion at all. He's probably afraid of what's about to happen. Um, like you said, there's an inevitability about about Askeladd's uh, plans here. And I just wonder if he is like what lessons he's going to take away from this um and like how to put this so if he will come away from this thinking um that the certain life is there them certain lives are more valuable than others which is sort of the rationale that uh is used by Askeladd right and he's when he says hey uh this is for the prince this is what's best for him uh and so we need to do this all these other people are expendable when it comes to his highness's safety and uh health right and mm. I wonder, I just wonder if he'll take this on board because um, 
that notion is very much at odds with Christianity and its tenets, uh, which like historians and philosophers have noted. Um, I think Peter Lawler was the person that I read who, who wrote this, but that like Christianity was like a gift from the aristocracy to the people, mm. not, not intentionally, but it was uh, indirectly or, or um, impl- um, unbeknownst to them because of the, de- the democratization of the worth of life. Um, because in Christianity, all life is sacred. All human beings are made in the image of God, not just some, right? Not just the monarchy or not just the wealthy. Um, and so it's kind of slowly over time, the faith sort of helped uh, democratic movements all throughout kind of the Western world uh, help justify those, um, whether it be... Uh, you know, the America, the first Americans writing the Declaration of Independence and saying, like, you know, everyone has these rights no matter what, or people like Martin Luther King writing about natural law um, and how, like, the rights and the worth of minorities, of black people, mm. is as much as others. So uh, these a lot of these kind of political movements are rooted in the faith uh, and rooted in Christianity and the democratization of the worth of life. And so I'm wondering if, if Canute will kind of swallow Askeladd's reasoning or whether or not he has absorbed, uh, you know, Christian doctrine to the degree that he will say to himself, like, no, this is wrong. This is not, it, it, I'm important, but it, it doesn't like me living doesn't justify slaughtering a bunch of these innocent people. Hmm. Um, yeah, indeed, Asgard might very well have done that because to point out some, which is that Christianity ultimately is isn't a shield because that's Canute's own like you know defense, like that's his armor, but it doesn't stop Asgard from committing the horrible things he does. But there's a lot of layers to this, which I will get mm-hmm. into shortly, because holy crap. Um, but yeah, no, um, I... Like, I think that, like, Knut is going through what we would call a test of faith right now. Because when you re- when you rely on a, on a deity to protect you, to shield you, and then that ultimately bears no fruit, as it does with Anne in this case, ironically... Um, what is your answer to that? What is your response? How far, how deep does your faith go? I mean, I'm not myself a religious person, but I have had, only this week, ironically, uh, a lot of shit piled on me. And it does test one's patience, one's, you know, one's will, one's yeah. sense of sense of self, one's, you know, mental fortitude. And I can totally imagine how, you know, as someone who does have a religious framework that, you know, codifies their life and allows them to understand the world around them, that if they were similarly dumped on, be it myself or like in Anne's case or anything else, all the myriad ways in which the world can truly like hurt someone, like that would test them. And then that just tests how deep their conviction goes. But funnily enough, then you have to ask the question like, you know, 
should you allow your faith to go, go that deep where you would not continue question you you would never continue questioning it or rather no this is not a good framework for me i need to have something else to rely mm-hmm. on instead because after all as we've said before like if we go back to fours who is mentioned this episode by the way mm-hmm. um you know fours had a very solid framework like you know he had a very you know strong philosophy i will not kill look at that guy look at that guy's son Maybe absolute dogmatism, you know, absolute fervor and belief in any framework, religious or otherwise, as Vinland Saga posits, will serve you no good in the end. It doesn't mean you should, like, you know, boomerang all the way over to the other side, but maybe you should find the middle ground. It certainly does. You you, you could make a case that that's what the show's trying to do, right? It's, like, point out that... uh you know, belief systems mm-hmm. as such are not really good or healthy. <laughs> so uh, whether or not you uh, agree with that, like that's, you know, or whether or not you think that's what the show is doing. And, you know, we only have a partial understanding. We only see in part, Shadon. We see through a glass darkly <laughs> uh, at the moment. Um, like this. Exactly. <laughs> Yes, one day we will see clearly after you drunk all the vodka. <laughs> uh, that'll be tomorrow. That'll be tomorrow when I sober up. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, what what is what do you have next on the agenda? All right, let's tackle the big question here. Let's go right into the you know the real meat of this episode. So I'm how dope start... is that ring? I mean, it is so dope. It's I mean, super fly. That is that's the real meat. We're going to talk about the fashion. The ring. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's. Just I mean, how's that? How is that Beyonce solo? Is she like you put a ring on it? <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yep. So, big question. I'm going to put this to a poll in a minute once I phrase it. Doc, what do you believe is more likely? That God punished Anne by allowing her family to be massacred for her crime because it parallels Ascalad's own crimes of pillaging, plundering, and stealing? Because it really does. Mm-hmm. Or do you believe that he spared her by using the ring as a kind of divine providence or guidance to lead her away from danger? What if there's a third option? Oh, shit, son. <laughs> oh, dog, what are you doing? What if? Why, why, why are you saying you can flip a coin and have it land on its edge? You <laughs> motherfucker. Go on, go on. Some go on. Tri- trivalent logic. Uh, what if uh, he's punishing her by allowing her to live? Woofed. Uh, am I right? Woofed. What if Woofed the family too. ended up getting off easy compared to what's coming? Mm. grisly grisly to think about it is Um, it is and you know what right like i don't have a conclusive answer one way or the other myself i think both in fact all three readings are perfectly valid uh which is a testament to the strength of the writing of this episode that it can you know allow you to think in those ways I mean, Anne certainly has her own perspective, which is that she thinks that she may very well have been punished, but she's also elated that her family have ended up in heaven nonetheless. But you can I, read It's so of... hard to... It's hard to know what she thinks. Yeah. But, I mean, she's also... I mean, even then, you know, she's half-starved, she's cold, she's, you know, traumatized. She's clearly not thinking straight. 
So you can't take it necessarily as a, as reliable her perspective, but well, whenever it's a perspective reliable from anyone, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a real strength of this episode that it was willing to test that kind of assertion about religion without mm-hmm. asserting it to necessarily be strictly bad. I mean, if you go back to Berserk, which we mentioned before, like I don't think there's a single time that the religion in that sh- in that show or that manga, as I understand it, is ever presented in a positive light i mean what was his no nope. what was the name what was the name of the priest again the one who had like you know a, a square jaw like his fucking cinder block is it like mosgul mosgood morrissey morrissey's got a square chin yep. so there you go he, he really was the first of the gang to die by the way <laughs> Oh, the jokes just keep on coming. I'm just, I'm just on fire to that. Uh, so, the reason I bring this up is that I mentioned before, like, you know, the parallel between her and Asgard. Because let's put it bluntly, right? She stole that ring. I mean, Lord of the Rings jokes aside, she took that because she wanted it. Um, And Asgard, in turn, he says, like, you know, looting and pillaging is, a, you know, a thing that we Danes do. So he himself has stolen many, many items throughout his career. I mean, come on, let's go back to the episode where he ended up literally rocking up on a boat covered in bling. We've seen that. That is something we have seen. <laughs> that was so very that's, funny. So that's true. Like, you know, she has that parallel between him and her. Is well, it really a parallel? No, 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 I mean, no, 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 no. Well, I think so. But only di- the only difference is in terms of magnitude. Taking well, something that doesn't belong to you. But also... Also, Shadon. Also. Also. He uh, killed people and took their shit. Um, she was, as you said, a little girl who had never known any... Uh, Wasn't Askeladd also very young at some point in her, his life? Well, of course. I'm just saying and, that there's... I'm saying you but, can see, like, steps going along here. I'm not obviously thinking that she's going to say it's a fucking boudic or anything like that, but... <laughs> I just think that her her age and circumstances to me are so starkly different from his that what, I would to, not to, even to see your mother like murdered before your eyes or taken away from you or abused like you know because of a foreign invading force. You talking about Askeladd? Yeah, do you remember what happened with Lydia where he's carrying her off the boat like where she was yeah. taken by Olaf? There's more commonalities than you might think. But on top of that, let me also point something else out. So, great attention is paid in this episode. And I have to give credit to Witch Studio for finally bringing a decent A-game here. Which, given I've just recently watched Babylon, which is also by them, like, I'm so glad that they're finally up in their game. Like, look at the hands. You know, you get to see, like, broken fingernails. You get to see, like, the calluses. The, you know, the rough skin. Mm-hmm. Anne is clearly someone who lives a dirt farmer's life backbreaking labor every day that she lives. She also has remorse, by the way, unlike Asgard. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure Asgard at some point had remorse, but, well, like Mel Gear Solid once said, killing's one of those things that get easy as you do it. I, I'm not right. saying... When I say parallels, I'm talking very broad strokes, not in terms of, like, where they are in the stage of their lives. Like, if you told me that Anne, as she is now, is basically like Asgard, his very beginning of his career as a pirate, like, the very, very start, I could see that. That's the thing I'm going for here. Sure. And if we had, we're treated to like a little boy Askeladd starving, you know, stealing a loaf of bread or whatever to feed his family, I would similarly be like, 
ah, it's okay. <laughs> but here's the thing as well, though. Like, the reason I bring up this hands thing here, like, Anne clearly has ideas of a life better than, you know, the one she has. Mm-hmm. And where have we heard that before in the show, funnily enough? Um, and I would argue that similarly applies to Ascalad, even though, like, you know, his life is built on the suffering of others. Now, one could make the argument, of course, oh, she stole a ring, boo fucking hiss to the guy selling it, whatever. <laughs> right. You know, that's how the it's slippery been. slope. <laughs> the slippery slope. But I do think there's, I do think there's parallels, not massive, like overly apparent parallels. But I think there's enough there to point out that, you know, we can again see how cycles perpetuate here. That you know, and you know, her family was murdered despite the fact that they were better people than her on her own theological-like standards, because they didn't steal, whereas she herself did, insofar as she knows. But she's the one who's still alive. So then you make the argument, okay, is that punishment? Or is that, you know, her being spared by God? Is God even involved in this? Because there's a big problem with moving in mysterious ways. And the big problem with that is that you don't know whether or not, you know, people will look at what you're doing and not realise you are indeed moving in mysterious ways. They'll think it's something else. So there you go. Yeah. So I found this really fascinating that it was willing to maintain that level of ambiguity. Mm -hmm. It's always good when uh, phenomena underdetermine hypothesis mm. and you could you could plausibly insert numerous ones that fit. Mm, absolutely. So what's your feeling then, Doc? Do you reckon God's helping her or do you reckon God's punishing her? I mean, I just... <laughs> I mean, as someone who's a, a admittedly uh, a non-believer in mourning about being a non-believer, uh, I just don't, don't think he really <laughs> factors into the equation. I think that's probably the author's point of view. Well, um, I, have a, I have something else to add to that then, which I mentioned before. Uh, and I think this also, again, speaks to maybe the fact that God, as presented in the show, actually flat out doesn't exist. Literally, he is more just a, you know, the agnostic or atheist concept thereof, mm-hmm. a work of fiction. And do you want to know why I say that? Remember what the priest does? He tries to intervene. He is literally a messenger of God going into that village saying, the Vikings are going to get you. They yeah. fucking killed a lot of you. He has no idea who that is. So obviously, you know, if she had been in the dining hall with him, she, he, she, he would have, you know, warned her similarly. But his message is stopped short. So the literal intervention of God does not save any of them except for Anne. Right. You could argue God used a pretty blunt instrument there with uh, Mr. Mr. Priest proper. Well, he hadn't yet uh, finished his tankard of beer, so maybe that's why it's a bit delayed. Yeah, he, he couldn't go Super Saiyan soon enough to mm. save everyone. Um, but so, so, you know, this leads into a talking point that I have. One of, I think, a couple of different connected ones. And I think uh, Anne's guilt is fascinating because I think there are like it's been my experience that you could have a whole group a big group of religious people and like not all of them 
are going to feel the same guilt or contrition over over uh, their wrongdoing, their quote-unquote wrongdoing, their sins, right? Like, only some people seem, like, to really be, like, racked with that kind of oppressive guilt that she is. She clearly goes out there every day to look at this ring, to chastise herself, to talk about how, you know, think about how bad she is, uh, to say, no, this is it. I'm going to throw it away. Or, uh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to return it and then I'll be forgiven only to just keep it because the, the beauty kind of overwhelms her. Um, she, she loves having this wonderful thing on her finger. Mm-hmm. Um, but she feels guilty about that feeling also. And I think, boy, um, why is it, uh, <laughs> why is it that only some people feel guilty, uh, about this sort of thing, right? Like in, in the Catholic church, um, it's, there's something, have you ever heard, Shadon, of scruples or scrupulosity? Uh, vaguely, but please elaborate. So basically, uh, <laughs> it's a sin, and it's feeling all this excessive guilt, uh, Ooh, despite boy, the fact that you've guilt. gone to confession, that you have uh, been forgiven. Well, you're not side like... me the fuck up, because that is <laughs> one of my greatest personality flaws. Holy shit. Yeah, I I struggled with it mightily when I was uh when when I was a good Catholic and uh talked a lot to various priests about it and uh yeah, I mean, I think I I feel like other people even in Anne's own village would do something like that and then just not think anything of it. Or they'd be like, mm. I've been forgiven. Like, I've asked for forgiveness, and now it's over, and I can put it behind me. Like, there's other people that oh, I've did, known I in the faith. Yeah, I did my time in the booth. It's fine. God's cool with me, you know? We, we even traded cell phone numbers and LinkedIn <laughs> profiles. It's fine. And But not even as cynical as you're putting it. Like, Well, that's just me. Yeah, but, like, people that are were genuinely sorry, and then they, uh, through whatever means they deem necessary, like get forgiveness and then uh that's uh, it and and they move on and they're not like uh as stressed about it they're not as they're not wringing their hands and sort of worried about their immortal soul now it's kind of a difference here is that is that uh Anne won't give the ring back but you know what she's already done the deed the stealing has already happened and yet she still is feeling guilty about this every day do you how much do you want to bet like her brothers haven't done some shit, right? They've done some shit. They've transgressed God's commands. And, you know, Jesus himself said like the greatest commandment is to love, uh, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit, and to love your neighbor as yourself. They probably haven't done that on a few days. He well, said that's well, even never, greater never, commandment never, than never, not stealing. <laughs> Never even mind speculating about it. What did we see in the episode where the younger brothers were snickering like during Grace? They clearly didn't take it entirely yeah. seriously. Yeah, which I mean, they're kids, so whatever. But like, I, from Anne's point of is view, that an, is that an excuse though in the in that religion? Yes, yes, for sure. Especially if your child has been baptized. 
Um, but like, yeah, there's there's a lot of theology about like being of age. You know what I mean? And and kids are going to be kids uh, a lot of the time. And it's it's fine if you have a five year old who doesn't really understand prayer. Uh, you know what I mean? Especially in the home, like it's just an educational moment. Those things, you know, and your the parents are meant to teach them why it's important. It's fine. Um, but uh, all this to say, like, Anne, the deeply spiritual girl who is, like, racked by guilt, believes herself, like, bound to go to hell, like, is so interesting and... And I feel like like she's the most spiritual child in the house. And yet she's the one who believes she's going to go to hell. She's the one who's praying herself. She's the one who has this active, um, I guess, for lack of a better term, relationship with her, with her God. Well, but like, but she thinks she's fucked. Well, if I may, in speed, just ask you another question. You said about going to hell. What if I said to you that Askeladd turned up at her doorstep precisely because God willed it to happen as punishment for her stealing the ring. Well, I would say that that's uh, a, a shitty, shitty God <laughs> who would pu- punish other people for... But he moves you know in what I mean? serious ways. Well, he's also supposed to be just <laughs> and uh, loving. But then, how, but then again, as the episode presents, though, how can God truly be just... I mean, this is like one of the great philosophical guys, which is if he's omnipotent on an omniscient, why does he not intervene? Where's mm-hmm. the intervention? Yeah. I mean, sure. the intervention that happens in this episode, as I said just minutes ago, was the priest coming in to say, this is about to, like, some real shit is about to go down here. You you might want to, you know, make like Iron Maiden and run for the hills. That doesn't even don't... qualify as intervention, really. I mean, there's there is nothing... Like he allowed them, they they're in chance of being safe and escaping the encounter. Did not go up even a milli percent based on what he did. But you'd you'd think <laughs> that God would act for His agents on this earth, and clearly that did not happen, or rather it did, no. but it was ineffectual. So mm-hmm. how do we how do we reconcile that? How do we reconcile the events of this episode versus Christianity? And Again, I, as a non-religious person, like, I am probably the least qualified person to offer this perspective here, but I still stand very strongly by, believe it or not, something I mentioned on the podcast before, I know it sounds like the most asinine and stupid thing ever, but it's the one abiding thing I remember from this film, and it's the Bruce Almighty perspective. <laughs> and it's true. And I think You have said a, this before. <laughs> and it, I think there's a lot of truth to it, which is that, you know, in that film, you had people like praying for wealth and they got that in the end. But, you know, better to make your own miracles, to have your own definitive actions in your own agency, rather than relying on a force that may or may not exist to make that happen. And obviously, you know, even that doesn't necessarily count as the whole free will versus determinism argument entirely, because everything could be dictated. We could get into arguments about that for all day and all night. Mm-hmm. And even then, that in itself might be dictated. Who can say, like, you, know, you see, how, you see <laughs> yeah. how many, do you see how many red pills one has to take to get through this? Holy shit! Like, you know, I've not got enough in my little, like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday counter here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends on how you feel about it, and even like, you know, within the framework of believing God is real, like, you can then d- decide 
whether or not he's punishing Anna or not, uh, you know, using Askeladd and his men as a force of retribution towards her, you know, say, like, this is the path you... Li-. This is why I brought the parallels, by the way, because guess where your path leads to? The point in which you plunder and pillage from someone so much that you destroy the lives of others entirely. Depends on how far you want to take it. Right. Depends on how you want to read it. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there there is room for uh, other kinds of, like... Like, the god of Vinland Saga could be... Uh, uh, we, we we have been talking about a theistic and active kind of conception of God, a God mm. that's like actually cares about humanity and intervenes. But uh, maybe the God of Vinland Saga is, uh, you know, just wound the universe up like like a cheap pocket watch, and then it's kicking back and doing he's other shit bunk. while it all unwinds. And he's, he's like... maybe it. <sighs> Or them or her is there. That's some good creation, bro. <laughs> but they just don't uh, give a shit, um, you know, uh, about uh, individuals. Uh, I don't know. Um, but it, there's like a lot of, I mean, there's, like you said, there's so many kind of uh, uh, frameworks that you could fit on top of these actions um, when it comes to like metaphysical beliefs or theistic, atheistic deistic worldviews and then like fit that on top of the actions and like suss out the consequences you know the the, the theistic view has like a, a very hard time uh coping with this and i think like this this is the kind of next point that i that i want to bring up mm-hmm. um i think it's pretty remarkable that Anne at the end of the episode, uh, still believes in God. <laughs> it's kind of amazing uh, because, you know, based on what we know, what we have heard, people that follow Jesus and pray every day are going to go to heaven. Uh, people that don't are going to go to hell. Now, this is eternal destination but you would hope and think that uh, it wouldn't also be like that, that if you were a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't be brutalized by the sword and, you know, or raped and or like plundered. Um, but Unless maybe you lived in ancient Rome, uh, or <laughs> even ancient Rome, but rather, you know, at the time before, what was it, Diocletian or whatever, where right. they feed him to lions. Sure. And maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe this is like me focusing too much on the material conditions and not just going like, well, they're going to heaven, so it's fine. But like, kind of fuck that way of thinking, honestly. Um, but but she sees these evil people and she says herself, they they don't care two dams about God's punishments. And they've won the day they they have taken the shelter the food uh the possessions and they've killed everyone who kept uh jesus's ways and yet instead of going you know what god fuck this uh she's like talks to him and like he's there and he made this happen (laughs) you know what i mean it's like i get it's just it boggles my mind, and, and you know, maybe this is just sort of her circumstances, her education. 
And the only thing she can do in this moment is like fit everything that she's just seen into this worldview that she's been handed down. She, she is not equipped right now to like break it or well, make a new one, but well, she's just like, you, you know, it, I'm so elated that evil people exist. Well, uh, when, you, when you say that, Doc, like there's been evidence like recorded of doomsday cults who put definitive dates on mm-hmm. when the world would end, which, spoiler alert, in case you don't realize, that's in the past. And I'm still here, motherfuckers. So guess what these doomsday cults did? They just like, oh, whoops. I guess, you know, they didn't have the clock set right. Time zones or something like, you know, the cosmic <laughs> the distance. That kind of thing. <laughs> that That is the thing that's happened. Mm-hmm. So it comes as no surprise to me that Anne, like, you know, if, as you say, like, she just reinterprets it in the same framework and just moves the goalposts along, so to speak. Yeah, but those people are grifters. Those people they are, are sh- fucking grifters. Shitty, like, we're just trying to, like, gain followers so we can have access to people's bank accounts and uh, sleep well, with um, all their fuck all their wives and shit but one like, second but if and, you've read this book then yes uh, right uh yes this is cult cults are shitty but like Anne is a person just one a, a little girl who's not a grifter there's nothing in it for her to like continue um, to continue on with it, I guess, except for her sort of sense of self and her sanity. But like, she doesn't have the same like material reasons to like be like, "Oh hell, it's okay. We didn't do the math right. The end of the world is actually two years from now." <laughs> you know, uh, well, it's unreasonable to think that kind of a framework can give one to you know the license and the ability to reinterpret, uh, you know, cataclysmic conditions like the death of one's entire family as part of a grander plan totally i'd argue i'd argue that's solely dogmatic as, as she's got there and indeed maybe that's the argument that vinland saga is making here which is that this framework as it is for canoe as it is for you know all the other christians thus far cannot save them it cannot you know help them in the face of definitive action but then again the definitive action we've seen thus far from a lot of the characters including Asclad, has been overwhelmingly self-serving and incredibly destructive so yeah i mean this these sort of events are 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 the the big reason why people i I think most people who were kind of like wanting to believe or maybe did believe for a time or we're considering it like uh sorry i'm getting a million texts i hope you don't hear all the buzzing um, hey, i literally went off to take a phone call before it's, <laughs> i you think you know we're all in the same boat here mate but the, the same viking boat the yes uh the problem of evil is like is the big one right the problem of gratuitous suffering in the world uh how do you uh um reconcile the existence of of these things that happened in this episode uh, that are very much happening, have happened, will continue to happen, and worse in the world with the existence of, you know, well, a lo- the... loving God who is, you know, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving. Like, how do you square them? And most well, people, I, I, it's, there's no real good intellectual answers, you know, coming from a person who's looked. There, there are, or sorry, I should say, let me rather, there are some answers that, 
in the abstract, if you were looking at this like a math problem, uh, could be satisfactory to you. But I don't think that there's any good answers for like people's emotional uh, yeah. problems with yeah. it. I can sympathize with so, like, So, yeah, so this is why, like, I find it remarkable. But but I am a different person in a different position than Anne. And, I mean, to be fair, when really horrible shit that has happened to me um, that ultimately did lead me to a place of unbelief, uh, right kind of as it was happening and in the wake of it, like I didn't, like I I still was a person of faith. So I guess I can't, I'm not really even judging her, but I guess I can't even, I, I can't sit here and say, well, this is weird because well, I did the if, same thing. If I may relate it back to my own experiences, like uh, people who see at home, like you probably have a piecemeal idea of how torturous the last couple of days of my life have been. And I think that everyone has their own kind of faith of wanting to keep on going living and like find something in the future. Um, and no doubt for me personally, that has been tested. But as, it, as with Anne here, like, you know, she sees that, you know, her family has been like, you know, culled um, before her eyes, like they were nothing more than cattle. And yet she still keeps on going. And that's why it's called ultimately the light of dawn this episode, because it's, you know, as you say, dark as before, there's a future out there. So I can relate to that, absolutely. Even if ultimately there's no, like, objectively a thing, like, that out in the distance I can point to which is waiting for me, personally, doesn't mean it won't be there. Like, you know, it's not, it's like looking for a telescope. Like, you know, you might not see something in the distance that you can, like, say, low land ho or whatever. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean if you don't keep going that you won't find it. She's clearly had some kind of epiphany. Hmm. But like, what is it? Because she's still, <laughs> I guess she's still, you know, I mean, maybe it's going to be a really kind of complex deal where she continues to believe in some kind of God, but also lives her life in a, like, she's like, okay, these people get to do evil and get away with it. That's what I'm going to do now. While still well, also the, believing, you know that, what I mean? But the, the funny thing is, Vinland gets out his cake and eats it there, because if that's true, that it plays into the cyclic nature that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't play true, then it also, you know, alludes to Forfin's own eventual fate of breaking out of it. Mm -hmm. Amazing how, you, you know, when you stack the deck, like, as a story... <laughs> As a story writer, how you can go with that stuff. <laughs> like, right. I must stress, folks, by the way, all the things that me and Doc have been discussing in this long-winded talk about faith, religion, all that, like, I think it's must... I should hope it's apparent, like, by how in deep we've gone into this, like, how meaningful this episode is. Even someone to me, like, you know, who is not religious, who thinks that God literally should be treated as a fictional character like Dumbledore or John McClane, like, you know, even I can derive a lot of meaning from this. And it's a lot of meaning that, you know, you can read however you want to. Like, oh, you, like I said before, oh, she's being punished or, oh, she's being saved. There's ambiguity here, but it's genuinely welcome ambiguity that even challenges you as an audience member to consider what you're presented with. 
How many shows can you and I name, Doc, that like we've seen in our lifetimes that can truly do that? Not many, I would not, not a ton. There, there, there ton. are a few out there, but like it, it asks you to consider the implications of the events you see. Mm-hmm. And I really, really appreciate this episode for doing that. Even if, to go back to my original point, I question its overall place. I cannot deny how magnificently it was executed in terms of its writing and its scripts and its overall meaning. Yeah, and just the tone isn't like judgy. Like it, it's not in some... fact. Can I, can I also add one other thing? It's just as a talking point here, very briefly. Yeah. So, okay, which studio CG has generally speaking been pretty bad throughout this show? Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> but let's talk about the way the execution scene is framed, which is we don't really see the actual like full blooded mm-hmm. like gory murder. We only see it like as an axe raised, boom, axe raised, boom. We replace that with like a sickle or a scythe, and they might as well be reaping corn. For all it matters. Grimly. And I really appreciate the framing of this because it shows it for what it is. Just a blunt, dull exercise in culling of life. There's no emotion behind it. We don't get to see the faces of those dying. We only see the after effects of like, you know, mothers huddling sons like really close or like, you know, families huddled together as snow white, you know, comes over them like showing like it's like a slideshow. It's really, really effectively handled this particular scene. And I appreciate how it's depicted. CG's notwithstanding, because honestly, like, you know, being murdered by a CG axe, what a fucking way to go out. That's pretty bad, isn't it? I've been digitally cut. Oh, no. <laughs> but it, it did punch really hard. You know, it's it, so often. Like, we talked about a million scenes that we feel like hit really hard because you don't really see a lot of the details. And, I find them. I find oof. the more controlled and like there's a word, there's a phrase I'm going to use. The more controlled ambiguity you use, mm-hmm. I find often makes something a lot more punchy, because the human brain often works on the worst possible outcome. And speaking to someone who I like, has deeply profound anxiety, like I can watch stuff like, I mean, I'll go back to a show I watched recently, Bawaru Penguin Drum. Like and there's an incredible episode featuring a sculptor, and yeah, you, yeah, and there's a scene in that where he is saying, "I'm gonna make you, my daughter, look beautiful." He's got his hammer, he's got his chisel, bang, bang, bang. But you know what? I'm showing you more than the episode did by even doing this motion, because all you see is the hammer raised down and you hear the bang noise. You don't see that happen. I almost threw up when I saw that for the first time. It made me physically sick. Now, obviously, I'm not trying to review more our Penguin Drum here as much as I otherwise should be because that show is fucking incredible. But yeah. I mean to illustrate through that the point that sometimes ambiguity and, like, you know, choosing not to show something can be ten times, if not more powerful, than exhaustive detail on the topic thereof. Mm-hmm. Not showing Anne's family being brutally executed frame by frame, where we see them like you know bleeding out in slow motion, where we only see the axe raise up, not the actual effect thereafter. It makes it much more cold and clinical, and our brains fill in the rest. Yeah, it really helps it hit home. And we we see it from like a real point of view. There's not like a omniscient camera, you know, like oh, how did this camera get right in on the action? It's mm. like. 
we see it from like Anne's perspective, and uh, uh, and there's just the fact that it is an exercise and so kind of uh, uh, detached I, from humanity. I, like I honestly oh, got the impression that Ascalad treated this in the same way he would treat filing his tax returns. Yeah, it's so brutal. I'm just, it's fill out a form. Cold man, and. And so the so Anne sees it, and she is still just like God, like you, you did it or you got it. I mean, it's just wow, you know. I mean, she must have been raised on some Old Testament shit. If you know oh, what I mean. The, the classic. Like, I love. I love being a classic. I must say. Ah, oh, just the, go brutalize everyone and burn all the children. Amen. Yeah, um, indeed. Jesus, uh, do you uh, do you have any more uh, points of the I have talk? One, I have one more. Which As is, do I. I. Talk, okay. I, I want to talk about fours entering the Matrix. <laughs> what? Okay. Did you not see the scene where it was just him doing that roundhouse kick on a guy while he's like yes. headlocking another, <laughs> but it's got the spinny spinny camera? Are you telling me that's sort of some Wachowski shit? Come oh, on, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I, I just wanted you know, to. I, I'm always right. Come on, man. <laughs> um, so. Why am I bringing this up? Because it relates to the priest, and the priest learns of Thor's after the facts from people who killed him, but that still left an impression on them, like of how a true warrior doesn't need to use a sword. And I thought this was really fascinating, just to show that even in death, even in his failure, because if you want to be very objective about it, like, well, he didn't live. You know, he died in the ballot, you know, so obviously mm-hmm. he didn't survive. But his son has also been cast into the fire that is, you know, this whole existence lifted. So I think the Thor's having failed is pretty objective as far as the show presents it. But that doesn't mean that his actions in of themselves are not lived on after the facts. Mm-hmm. Even amongst the people who killed him, they still have an admiration for him. And it's kind of grown into its own legend. I mean, why mm-hmm. do we see it presented like in that Matrix-like fashion? I'm not obviously thinking it's just a reference to that I, I don't even think it was that deliberately but rather it shows how it's been mythologized amongst the people of Ascalad's uh, amongst Ascalad's men mm-hmm. in its own way and I thought that was really really neat that even after the facts after you know that failure through admirable intent and hubris no doubt that still Thor's still has a profound impact on the lives of others beyond his son I only mention that briefly because I think that it's still really, really interesting to note. It is. And as for what the priest's impression of that was, which is say, like, you know, that he realized a true warrior doesn't need the sword. Like, Thorfinn, like, you know, he's been told that many times in his life. And he hasn't quite digested that yet because he's still embittered by wanting to, you know, murder the fuck out of Ascalad. Mm-hmm. But other people are still receptive to that message. I think it's a good, like, you know, reminder. You know, as I said before, like, about how, oh, this episode, you know, is us seeing Ascalad, Canute, and Thorfinn through the eyes of Ad. I think, in turn, it reminds us how we can see people like Thor's through the eyes of someone who's not Thorfinn, where he was that close. Sometimes a bit of distance, or even a lot of distance, can offer a different perspective on someone. Mm-hmm. So, in, other, in some way, this feels like a pace set to this episode. Like, you know, it's just like, you know, all right, let's dial things back a little bit. Let's... Re- reorient ourselves mm-hmm. towards the characters and the events of this show just before we go into the final quarter. Yeah, which I you're am, too close. Way, I, 
task it, allowed. It, yeah, it's too close to last night. You're too close to forfeit, or Marvin not close enough. So I appreciate it for that. Yeah, Andy in chat was saying that that uh, you know, the episode he felt it was like at a, at a good point in in the uh, episode ordering, you know, because he'd been feeling pretty like, oh, like he's, you know. He's okay. He's just the prince who's been hard done by. He's and he's a gonna bad s- law. He's, he's going to save you know, the Welsh. <laughs> he's seen some shit, basically. We can understand that. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Um, okay, so my final point. Of Before you get to I'm going to oh, yeah. one okay. last bio break. I'll be back in just a moment. Oh, okay. Well, look. Since we're still here. Instead of going to break, I'll be here, and I'll just be on camera and on mic. And uh, if you'd like to ask any questions in the chat, thank you, everyone, by the way, who's come to the chat on uh, twitch.tv slash show. Uh, thanks for contributing. We had some really good, good comments and uh, good questions. Um, I believe, let's see. Andy said earlier, um, so I like how the two youngest of the three brothers were all, yeah, sure, God is here, while the older one was a bit more stern with his religious explanation, yes, and Anne's family. Like, that seems like a really, um, that was like a realistic dynamic. Like, that made everything hit home for me, that, like, the tiny little boys are just kind of, like, fucking around, you know, eh, whatever, uh, who cares, uh, we don't really get it, but, uh, as, as the, the middle child had gotten a little bit older, he'd taken more of it in, maybe like accepted for himself, uh, being a person of faith and, uh, yeah. And so he was a little bit more like, yes, this is a real thing. Um, and you, you two little brothers need to shut up while we're praying. Uh, that was like that, that made, uh, that made sense. Um, what do we think of the opening conversation with the priest? Um, so uh, I did talk about this at the beginning. Uh, Shaddam was away. So maybe he should put, say what he thought of it. Well, I mean, we had the opening scenes of the priest seeing like people being murdered. So I think that for him, his faith is kind of in flux that he, as time goes by, he's trying to find new meaning in it. And indeed, that's why he seems so receptive to the idea of Thor's you know, own legacy of a warrior does not need a, a true warrior does not need a sword. Mm-hmm. So I think his faith remains absolute, even if it is found in the bottom of a barrel of booze, let's be honest with ourselves. But like faith in itself can be a little bit fluid in some ways. Like, you know, many people define God or a God or a, you know, a deity in their own way. And so as, you know, he has been tested, he's found new frameworks within frameworks, so to speak of how to handle that, of how to cope with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, is why he finds such, you know, meaning in Thor's, like, legacy. So I think it sets the stage really well for seeing how he's seen the repeat of, you know, events that, it's got, that have gone on. But also, like, you know, that he's open to new ideas and new possibilities as well. Like, you know, you don't need to kill people. Um. Yeah, so I... I... The way that I, uh, I thought the conversation was, 
was interesting, but like the sort of comedy with the two brothers in arms was a little, um, <laughs> it was, it was fun, but it was so out of step with the rest of the episode. Do you reckon that was the uh, first recorded like historic instance of the JoJo's pose? <laughs> Probably. Yes. The, uh, the, the, the forearm smash, uh, to each other, the, the smash brothers like hit, um, <laughs> no, or is it bash? But I don't know. Anyway, anyway, uh, so, uh, I think, yeah, the priest is still a man of faith, but he's, like, looking for, like, love. I think he's looking for, like, either the love of God or sort of example of the love of God uh, that he can... Uh, how about, no, if I may, if I may count that, what about the love of humanity? Yeah, so that's what I mean. Like, um, I, I guess in a way, uh, like... He's looking for sort of an instance of love from one being to another uh, that is like what he feels the love of God is like. Mm. Um, and I think he, you know, sees something of that in in Thor's uh, something of Christ's um, teachings. And I think that's, and you sort of, in a roundabout, not a roundabout way, but in a way that doesn't make sense to the two brothers, you get a little bit clearer of a picture of some of the things that go into his idea of love because they say, yo, uh, you know, we would watch each other's back uh, on the battlefield. We would die for each other out there and we totally trust each other. And Mm. he says, well, would you trust me to watch you? Would you die for me? And they're like, no, because you, I would never, you, you're not an experienced soldier. You would let me get killed. I would never die for you because we haven't spent all the time on the battlefield together. There's not all those, like, there's not that foundation mm. of time spent together and everything like that. And, uh, so, um, God damn it! Uh, th- there's not all that foundation that is present, uh, and underneath the brothers in arms. But that's precisely what makes their love, their relationship, not like what he's looking for. He's looking for something that transcends this kind of like tit-for-tat human reason. This whole, like, well, I'll protect him because he'll protect me. Or I trust him because uh, he's a great warrior. Like, there's more to... There's more of an absolute trust. There's more of an element of, like, almost irrationality about uh, the love. To go back to uh, the idea of, you know, the priest finding real meaning in Fawz's words... Like, Fawz clearly fought so much of his fellow man that he would not kill them if he could also do so. Like, I mean, go back mm-hmm. to episode two. You ha- there are no enemies. Mm-hmm. You have no enemies. All enemies are artificially defined yeah. by outside forces. Yeah. That, to me, I think, I think that even without having heard those words, because obviously he wasn't there at the time, the priest understands the idea behind that. Mm-hmm. That, you know our conflicts are artificially defined 
that the lines are drawn, you know, by mortal men rather than like, you know, big re I don't know how to fucking describe, but you get my point unless mm-hmm. so like So Andy puts it a really great way, I think, is that like uh Th- Thor's uh shows that he even cares about his enemies, not just the people he's fought with mm-hmm. for so long. And that there's something like transcendent about that that goes beyond um the sort of love that they speak of. Mm. And uh Thor's did die for our sins. That's right, Facebook. <laughs> you're you're correct in that. Uh oh. Facebook's around. That's a problem. <laughs> uh Facebook, uh oh. <laughs> to be precise. They're selling us false political ads next. Oh shit. <laughs> um Topical humor. Hey. Um when's Cambridge Analytica gonna come in the chat? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Fucking never, I hope. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, are you ready to hear my last talking point? This is the final yes, one I for am. me. Okay. Um, so, uh, the ring. Um, my precious. That's right. You are precious. Um, Thank you. I'm glad you agree. I, listen, it's what I've said for years, and... I'll brook no argument. Uh, so this this ring of Anne's, um, it is her sin that she has stolen it, that she will not give it back, that she won't throw it away, all that other stuff. She's atta- her attachment to it and her stealing it in the first place. Um, and yet, of course, irony of ironies, it, that is the thing that gets her out of harm's way hmm. when the awful soldiers come to kill everyone and she's the lone survivor of the village now there's a lot of different ways that you could you could look at this right um and i think you you touched on some of these earlier right like uh it, it you know because of this sin, like, is she being saved or spared is she, uh, to give to be given a second chance to get things right in life before she dies? Or is she being punished by losing her family and on and on? Um, my own personal reading of the whole she didn't get killed um, because of the ring is, I think, the way I'm looking at it is I think it's the author saying like that religion that they, it, I think it's the author's sort of agnostic or atheistic point of view. Um, and that um, religion ain't really something that's true. Well, uh, to follow up what you said there, like look at the events of the episodes we've seen thus far, go back as far as seeing when Thorfinn met that lady who believes it, like for a second that she was like uh, sorry he was rather like you know the reincarnation of a dead son like you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she was christian and her christian faith brought her the destruction of a village oops whoopsie bit of a bad moment <laughs> oops, oops. Uh, yeah. then let's take canute was canute's faith brought him wandering around in the middle of fucking nowhere in the you know great britain you know caught between wales and england Used as a political pawn, it's not done it any fucking favors. You know, as a guy with neither wine nor unleavened bread. 
What a shitter. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that's why I go to Sunday school myself for the booze and biscuits. So, hey. That's, that's, the, that's the reason to go, right? That's um, the reason to go. Uh, and then, of course, in this very episode, we see that Anne's faith, on a much greater level of ambiguity than we presented before, but nonetheless, you can think to yourself, well, how do I read this? Punish or, you know, save? It's up to you. But it's not clear-cut. There's no clearly delineated positivity towards Christianity in this show's run thus far. Yeah. And I think sort of the way that I parse all this is that if she was a, a good Christian girl who stuck to her uh, commandments and was totally like all in, like, I'm good, I'm it's the best, she would have still been at the table and not left and she would have been killed along with everybody else but Mm. uh you know her sin her sin her bad bad thing that she did uh got her out of there got her out of harm's way and so yeah i mean i i think this is for for me it's it this is the reading I take, so it's a little bit less ambiguous. Now, as I say that, as I'm sitting here saying that, I guess you could argue that it's her being a spiritual person and her sense of guilt that actually kind of drives her away from the house and everything, and that if she wasn't such a spiritual person to begin with, she could have died. So I guess the ambiguity does remain, but um, but I don't know. I think uh, for, for me, it's... Um, it's pretty like for me at least it is clear despite me believing that there are other valid ways you could look at it what's clear about it to me is that like the very dogmatic uh believer types all got stabbed and a person who had a moment of weakness, who had sinned. Um, she has belief, but she's not, uh, how do I say, she? but she feels herself like she's not like sort of holier well, than thou and, 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 and uh, like this great and good sort of person. Like that, her sin I took her away. may offer another thought is that to say this right. So... M- Speaking as an atheist here, speaking from the non-religious perspective, you could argue the episode is pointing out that those who take defensive action for good or bad are those who are ultimately rewarded for it because Anne lives. But then, you know, you've got Thorfinn and Canute who in their own ways could have acted it many times to stop the awful things that are happening before them but didn't do so. Mm-hmm. Like, And again, that ties back to the Bruce Almighty joke but also the sincere point I made before, which is that rather than relying on a god to solve things out for you, like maybe you should be more, you know, affirmative in your own life, take own your own action. There's so much to unpack for this shit. Oh my god! <laughs> and and this is the thing, right? I I must stress about this episode. One of the things I love about it so much is that there's no right or wrong answer from this. Every single person who walks away from watching this particular episode of this show, provided you, of course, have the previous context to back it up, like, 
you'll have your own feelings towards it. You'll apply your own framework, your own philosophy, your own viewpoints to it. And that's a good thing when an, a work of fiction like this can have that level of flexibility that it can challenge you to say, how do I react to this? And, oh, my reaction isn't necessarily wrong, but I'm glad it's challenged me to think about it in the first place. Mm -hmm. So um, Dana uh, in chat says that she doesn't believe the author is making a comment on Christianity as much as how people who are decent and good are crushed by the brutality of those times. And um, I will respectfully disagree here because I think, um, I think the show has gone out of its way to say that that uh, those people who are Christians, like their faith is uh, a blunt instrument. I've used that phrase already here. It's like, it's not efficacious in terms of protecting you uh, or anything mm. like that. But you know what is? Uh, getting a pair of twin daggers and cutting people's throats open. That's how you survive. Uh, well, then again, more to, so. to argue in favor of that, like, would you agree that Thorfinn's life as presented right now is a good thing? No. I'd argue no. No. But he is alive. <laughs> and he yes, has, and so but... he has a chance to... But he's not exactly living, though. He's surviving. That's the distinction I made before. Right. But he still has a chance to... Um, as long as you're alive, there's there's another day, there's another chance to make things better for yourself. To make different choices. But at choices, the same time, you know? the, cho the choice of that happening in a lot of these cases in the show, in fact, all of them, has been made by someone else. It's not a case of, oh, I choose to quit, but rather, sort of fucking murdered me. I didn't get to make that choice. Are you talking about um, the well, villagers? All the people you said before, like, who, could, who couldn't, like, you know, they're still alive or not. Like, that choice was not their own. It got taken from them. They were fucking murdered. Who? Who are you talking about specifically? The villagers, all the right. people who have been killed throughout the show's run. Mm -hmm. So it's not, to me, like, as simple as, oh, you know, like, I choose to live the life of an assassin or whatever, and I'm living. <laughs> but rather, like, you know, that the choice has been made for all these people to so whether or not they live or not. Like, the, like it's, it's not a question of contests of philosophy where, like, you know, people act unto themselves, but rather they're acting unto others. Yeah. Can follow me. No, yeah, I do. And I think it's like, I mean, the reason Christianity is being quote unquote singled out, I guess, is like, it's just the historically accurate. You know what I mean? Uh, it was, that's what was happening during those times. Mm. So it's not well, necessarily like to, being to fire unreasonably back, picked on. <laughs> to fire back again, and here's me, you know, back in Christianity's corner as a guy who like, you know, thinks that God is, you know, a fictional character. There is no non-Christian character that we've encountered thus far, with the possible exception of Thor's family and Thor's himself, and, well, look how that turned out for them. Or Thor Kel, I suppose, but even then, you could argue otherwise. They're living, okay. though. They are living. <laughs> they are living. But, like, they all, like, you know, are deeply mired in warfare and conflicts and bloodshed. Yeah. I think, and bear in mind, this was not an old epic in which we think so, like, oh, it's a process of This was written in the 2000s. Mm -hmm. So we can see and appraise it for what it is, which is to say that, oh, look, this is not a good way to live. This is not a good way to be. Yeah. 
They might be winning, but ironically, they are also losing, as we see. I guess. I mean, it's hard to say that they have. I mean, the worst I'm not going out. I'm not. I'm not going out there. You know, like riding on top of a boat that's being carried by like you know two dozen people, like you know, over the plains of England. As much as I'd like to do that, I think that'd be fucking awesome. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I'm would you? That, would you rather be one of the Bash brothers, or would you rather be someone, one of the villagers? I mean, I think we would all choose to be, I think, well, I shouldn't say all of us, because then, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Having, having been part, no, I'm going to say I want to be all the villagers, because I can't believe that I would be party to what they have been involved in, even by association. I mean, this is what, going back to what we discussed before, way back in another episode, where we are like, let's remind ourselves... Asgard is responsible for the rape, pillage, and plunder of many villages. He is murdered, demeaned, dehumanized, and God knows what else with how many people. Yeah. So, so, and then maybe that's a weakness of this of the show itself, where it's not quite depicted as so brutally. One can, you know, where we get too familiar. But again, this episode is meant to reorient us and oh my God, everything's crossing over. Ah, so, like, I point. should also specify here. I I don't necessarily think the like the show or the author is like. Christianity is is really shitty, but other religions mm-hmm. are fine. Like I think, I, I I think it's less specific about Christianity and more about religious faith, kind of not really um, being a thing that can keep you safe in and of itself. When it comes to like man's inhumanity, or I should. This this is an old, very old phrase, so I should say, human uh, humans in humanity to other humans, um, it's just this really brutal and hard fact, uh, especially during these times. And no matter if you're a faithful person well, or what not, about modern times. This is the yeah. question I've asked before, where that's why Finland saga might run a bit, you know, weak for people, which is that it's an historical thing rather than a future thing. So it's not a place we could be mm-hmm. where we could learn to be better, but rather it's a place we've been and we ain't any better now. Which I'm sure we'll revisit as we get mm-hmm. towards the end of the show. But anyway, yeah, that's why I remember. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I, I guess uh, like you, I really like this episode for its uh, uh, the fact that it allows you to feel however you want about these things. It's not like saying, uh, I mean, clearly it's showing Askeladd and those and, and, and his people. They're heinously bad and evil, but like in terms of, uh, religious faith and that kind of thing, like it's not really being super judgy. It's very much like how, however you, you, you could see it all these kind of different ways. Uh, and that's like a huge I think, point in its favor. And, you know, I kind of gravitated to one reading of it, but like there are other, you know, I, I could see someone being like, you know, oh, God is, is totally here in the universe of Inland Saga. And he like, this is a test and the villagers have all gone to heaven. So they're fine. They had some suffering in this life, but who doesn't? They're now in heaven. They're good. So, uh, Anne's now been given another chance to, uh, to to figure out uh, 
her herself and and atone for her sins and stuff like that. Um, not, you know, in terms of of my own life, that's uh, I'm not into that reading <laughs> at all. So, um, it's sweet show though, mate. It's sweet show. I mean, like I say, I I have no faith, not in a religious construct, so to speak. But as someone who has been tested a lot throughout his life um, in many arenas, in many forms, like to see, like, you know, Anne fall at the end, but then to rise up again, despite everything that's happened to her, like, I can relate to that. I can absolutely 100% get behind that in all of it. Yeah. So I think that, like, again, what we said before about even if you are lying on one side or the other of like, you know, punishing versus saving, I think that people can probably read or rather gain or glean a lot from this episode and relate to it a lot just in how that they've suffered themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where I've been tested, but I'm still here. I'm going to keep on going despite all the adversity that lies before me. Yeah, and that's something you don't need. Like, f- faith doesn't have to be part of that story of mm-hmm. of self-reliance of resolve of getting up off the floor again and again and again um Mm. human beings that are faithful and human beings that are not all kind of have the capacity to do that and it's um it's a pretty remarkable thing in and of itself and uh yeah and i think seeing that is pretty pretty powerful Mm. indeed anyway i'm talking out for talking points you have any more to add dog that's it all right. That's it for me. Right. Well, um, let's wrap up with the polls then. So we've not had many votes yet on these, so do check them out at Warrior Death Show on Twitter. Uh, I'll go for the first one, which is episode 14, poll one. Is Shads just plain cursed? Or drunk, I suppose, at this point. Uh, and 17% said, all work and no play. And 83% said, make Shaden a dull boy. <laughs> Very good. How can I not do that? Very good. Uh Episode 14, poll 2. Which Mancunian team would ask a lad support? <laughs> uh, this is a clean sweep thus far, and 100% said City. Uh, he's, he, is a, he is a front runner, so... <laughs> uh, next question. Um, episode 14, poll 3. Why do you think Canute chose not to speak up at the slaughter of the Mercian villagers? Uh, 33% say he was too afraid, and 67% say it'd make no difference. So in other words, he was cognizant of the fact that it wouldn't matter if even if he spoke up, and that's why he didn't bother. Mm-hmm. Interesting question. Yeah. So yeah. Next one. Uh, episode fourteen, poll four. What is God doing to Anne in this episode? Zero uh, percent punishing her. Zero percent saving her. A hundred percent. Neat. She was right. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So do feel free to check out those polls if you've not already voted, folks, and retweet them and link them to your friends. Very interested to hear your thoughts on those. But that's how it stands at the moment. We'll, of course, check in those next week. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Uh, so now it's time to rate the episode. And I am going to say that uh, I give it uh, 4.5 uh, bowls of oniony porridge out of 5. For <laughs> all the reasons that we've mentioned, I feel like I don't have to belabor the points by enumerating them again. All right. Well, I mentioned before that I had two ratings for this episode because I'm that kind of fucking, you know, annoying, like, you know, French in the works kind of person. 
So, here's the thing, right? And no doubt I will eat these words. In fact, these will be on <laughs> YouTube for me to eat them later. I will literally print out frame by frame and just... Like, this episode to me was brilliant in pretty much every respect. Even in animation standards, which studio brought it up from what the standard I've seen previously, where I felt it was a bit sloppy in certain respects. Like, the detail on Anne's hands, for example, or the, you know, the snow, like, the snowdrifts blowing over the villagers after they've been slaughtered. To give cuts between seeing the scenes, it's like we were showing a slideshow, and it made it all the more horrific. I thought that was really good. And then, of course, there's the material that we've talked about at length here. I mean, this has gone for two plus hours now, notwithstanding breaks and all that. Like, I hope that speaks volumes to how much I mm -hmm. drew out of this episode. So, mark your fucking calendars. Mark the same history. I'm going to go one better than Doc. I'm going to give this episode, as one of my two ratings at the very least, a 4.75. Oh. Bjorn uses a battering ram out of five. <laughs> Because it really challenges you as a viewer to bring your own reading to it, but it mm -hmm. also doesn't then refute that reading immediately. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of open room to interpret on this episode how you feel about it, and I think that's really, really strong. I think there's a lot of great stuff to be mined from this. Like Anne as a character, like invokes like the audience perspective because she has never seen these people before. And she then brings us back to her perspective, like reminding us what it's like to see these people the first time. And I think that's really, really powerful. However, because no. I'm such a prick, because I'm such a bastard, and because I like to be contrarian. Like, the way I think Vinland Saga has been set up thus far, like at least until Fawns' death, was it was all about Thorfinn. Let's not kid ourselves here. It was about him and Fawns. And Fawns dies. So obviously the book, like, you know, gets passed to him. The, the dramatic way gets passed to Thorfinn. And I don't think Vinland Saga has really understood its own setup necessarily in leading up to that point. Now, you could argue that's intentional. And I'm not going to disagree with you. But for me, speaking from my own perspective and my own limited lizard brain viewpoint on this, and I know that you're rubbing that Gretzko plushy, like, you know, stress ball there. Yeah. Because you know I'm going to chat some shit right now. Okay. So I'm sorry. <laughs> but, like, for what to me felt like... It was originally going to start off as a very character-focused drama. It's moving to something more broad. Like, being broad in itself is not a problem. But I feel like it should have been broad from the beginning. And so that's why my complaints about these later episodes have been an issue. So I'm ultimately going to also offer the alternative rating. I'm going to give this, similarly, three out of, three out of five Bjorn's uses a battering ram. Hmm. It's not as long as I could have taken it if I wanted to, because I still think it's effective, don't get me wrong, but I really want to start moving the plot along with Thorfinn and Canute and Askeladd. Mm -hmm. There are three main characters. I want things to start getting going. Like, we are at the Final Fantasy, you know, 13, 20 hours mark here. Yeah, I'm making that reference. I'm making that fucking reference. You come at me, motherfuckers. I am making that joke. Um... We are at that point now, and if you want to say to me, oh, it gets good at this particular point, I'm not going to deny that... I'm not going to say that you're wrong. But I'm also going to say, well, why can't it have been good to this point? Why did it take us this long to get to here? Why can it not have been good throughout? I feel that's a fair point to ask. Is, is this the point where we start running forward down the hall? Are we at that point yet in, in oh, the game? We've been doing that for the past 14 <laughs> episodes. Give me some credit, man. So that's why I bring that up, because 
and the heat. I will look back on this episode and say, God, you really did inhale vodka like it was fucking oxygen, didn't you, you useless bastard? Alright, jokes aside. Uh, I will look back on this episode and think to myself, okay, maybe I was wrong. Or maybe I was right. Because that's the flaw of doing this week on week. But as it stands right now, because it is being presented as week on week, we have to ultimately treat it as such. And my reaction to this is thus, like, well, you know, where's the narrative drive this? Where's the push towards it? Like, I mean, we obviously covered Sarah's and Mai and Promised Neverland, and we were waiting week on week to see what happened next. Mm-hmm. And I don't really quite feel that with Inland Saga right now because of the fact it's... that, like, it's it's moved away from Farfin and Canoe. And I understand why it was done. I'm not saying that it's the case of, mm-hmm. oh, they did it because they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They just thought, oh, I'm going to crowbar in this character for a reason. No, Anne and her family are in there for a very specific and very explicit reason. And I appreciate their inclusion based on the intent and the execution thereof. Mm-hmm. But I again must say, we started with Thorfinn. It doesn't feel like we're ending with him at this particular point, which feels very disconnected. There are 10 weeks left to go. Maybe we'll... Maybe we'll bring it well, back. Well, maybe, maybe I'll be at Christmas. You know, I'll have a Christmas. <laughs> I'll have a Christmas town again, like last time. I'll be very upset and angry, like I was with banana fish. Who can say? Who can say? <laughs> well, so yeah, I think you've you've touched on an uncomfortable reality that, despite me thinking this episode in particular was quite good, and some of the last ones, like you know, handful of the mm-hmm. last few, have been good. It's like, am I excited about next week? Not particularly. I mean, not that I'm not unexcited. I'm not dreading it, but I don't feel anticipation for like, oh, well, yeah, what's coming next? Because I don't really know. Well, Doc, if I may offer you a thought. You may. So here's my wallet. <laughs> okay. Here's a £10 note. Okay. What do you reckon that Anne will not turn up again in this series? Oh, um... So I was wondering if she was going to become, like, the priest's little well, like acolyte. Hild- like Hildegard. No, Hildegard. You remember her? <laughs> I wanted her to be, like, a thing so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Ten pounds. Are you in for that? No. No, I can't do it. Because... Because you know I'm right. No, I have a, a strong... Sus- yes. I... I'm not willing to bet money on the uh, on the opposite. Which is, and I say, like, it speaks to the construction of the series as a whole, mm-hmm. which is that I greatly enjoyed Anne's involvement in this particular episode, but, well, it told me something I already knew. Ask a lot of shit. Great. Uh, to answer uh, Dana's question there, well, this is the prince. So we've had hints in the OP that Canute is going to get hardened over time. He's going to, you know, gravitate toward the dark side. Like, you know, he's got this, like, resting bitch leaning face like this. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that Askeladd's lesson here is that Christianity offers no shield to anyone. Like, it doesn't shield these people for all their prayer. And so he's teaching him, like, you know, you should shed that you know, faith that you have as your armor and instead become a man of action and become a man of like, you know, cold clinical pragmatism where lives don't matter, but we do what we need to do. Mm. That's interesting. He was ultimately doing this 
it was also me doing this in the end after all to feed his men. And you can make the argument of whether or not that was necessary or not. But that's how it was presented. So he's trying to teach the prince that, you know, like for all that he has this, you know, he's, you know, holding up the cross and all that. He's, you know, doing the prayer. Don't mean shit. Yeah, so I did not read. I didn't read as much into it. I think that's a really interesting take, though. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was correct. So I was just thinking about it in terms of um, this was his, uh, this meant as a justification, obviously, for this really heinous action. Um, and yeah, like there, he didn't really see any other course of action. So this is the best way to keep the prince alive and safe. I think that was all he meant. Um, I think, you know, because he was saying, look, if we turn back, my men are going to have to leave behind all their loot and they won't like What's that. Loot, and if they are wise loot them. Yeah. It, well, as he was ultimately that will be bad because if they're unhappy, they could, they could turn on him or whatever. Cause they're just mercenaries. Um, mm-hmm. And so he didn't really feel they had any other choice. And so this is the best thing to preserve the prince's life. Now that sort of second uh, implied lesson could very well be a thing. Right. And I think that will be an interesting um, and yeah, we definitely, I think Shadon especially talked about that, Dana, the, uh, the episode serving as a turning point for his development, like him seeing this as like a watershed thing that he would look back on. Uh, yeah, totally. It definitely uh, feels like that is a big part of why this is here. Hmm. Undoubtedly, I'm sure this will be referred to again in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think we've done it. Well... I think we've done it. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, I want to apologize, by the way, folks, because this is all entirely my fault. I apologize for the breaks that we've had in this particular episode, both for the phone call of my bio breaks. I need to do both for a variety of reasons. And I just want to say that I appreciate your patience with that. I really do. So thank you for that. Oh, of course. Uh, I was juggling every time you were off the air. I left us on stream and I was I was juggling. I would, I would, I would rely on no one else to do that. <laughs> uh, well, if people want to get mad at you for all the breaks, how can they contact you on Twitter? Well, tough shit. <laughs> is it no, is I it get. at well I tough get. shit or just? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, you you understand. No, I kid. If you ever want to talk to me about anything, um, I'm at Shade and Ten Ten on Twitter. Uh, just mess you with anything you want, and I'll I'll respond to you in good faith. Because why not? Uh, I am at the Subtle Doctor. Uh, follow us on Twitter uh, as a as a podcast slash media producing entity at Watery Desho W A R U I D E S H O U uh, to uh, talk with the group, including Virgalia there, to be notified oh, yes. when shows go live, uh, when we get new content on uh, the the Patreon, uh, or or releasing new content to the public. That's where we will be notifying everyone is via Twitter uh, or of course on Patreon, which you can subscribe to at patreon.com slash show. We've got Mm. plenty of rewards. And uh, since the season has changed over, there's been a little bit less activity um, from us, just a smidge, but Vinland here is getting us back in the swing of things. We're going to start recording tomorrow. Our uh, uh, Sherlock, our case file, Case file, lowercase n, superscript, zero, uh, 22 Sherlock. 
episode. I've got feelings about that show. Let's just put it that yeah. way. Uh, there's a lot <laughs> to see. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, oh so this boy. show won a poll that we that we uh, did on Patreon. And so this is going to be our second stream content. We've got other content as well. Um, we've got Shadon working on uh, Tokyo Godfathers. I'm hoping to have that out this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm literally putting yep. all my spare time aside to do that. So I hope to have that done. And me working on uh, various little projects that I have ideas for and requests that I keep plugging away on that I promise uh, will be done uh, when they're done. Um, and yeah, we, we hope that the, the drip feed will will uh, will feed you and drip upon you. Mm. Um, you nourish. Yes, thank you. Uh, and, um, you know, we've got a YouTube, we've got a SoundCloud, a Gmail, Desho at Gmail. If you want to contact us there if you're question doesn't fit into 240 characters if if you uh don't feel like subscribing on patreon because you don't have the the coin then uh please do uh follow us on twitter youtube soundcloud share our stuff etc etc helps us out if you leave a review on apple Podcasts, that would be tremendous um that is uh that helps the discoverability as as much as uh sharing youtube videos and the like but uh thank you all so very much for coming out today. We sure do appreciate it. Thank you all for listening on demand elsewhere or watching VOD. Um, we love you all and appreciate you. And and if I uh, may just add, um, I want to thank you all for giving me a face to talk about this kind of stuff because this is stuff that keeps me sane. It, you know, mm-hmm. allows me to de-stress, to laugh a little bit of steam, like as you obviously listened to earlier in the podcast run. But nonetheless, uh, thank you all for being the audience to my bullshit, and I really, really do appreciate it. We always appreciate it. You should on. And we always appreciate our audience. Uh, Thank you. We love you. And as we say at the end of every podcast we do, embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. Good night. (laughs) 